passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When Ryan when it's time to begin, it's on the Rewinder Rob with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's Rewinder Rob for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's Rewinder Rob for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, welcome to Rewinder Raw. I'm John Pollock along with Waiting. How are you doing tonight, Wade? Doing pretty good. Yourself? I'm doing swell. Did you attend the parade today in Toronto? I did. Where did you go? Like what uh, area? Yes. I probably uh, went to, I think I went to like somewhere between Queen and University. Ended up kind of walking all the way down to maybe Front and University. What time did you arrive? Uh, I think 12. Okay, so you you didn't try to get there early. No, God no. Yeah, it was ca- it was crazy. I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen so many people like packed into the downtown core, and uh, I've I've heard of stories of people like waiting in at Nathan Phillips Square since like yesterday afternoon. Yeah, the night before people were were there. Like, yeah, like the morning before, like yesterday, like during the day. That's pretty nuts. That's crazy to me. God, God bless the dedication, but that's crazy. Well, I mean, this has kind of been the case, like, all series, hasn't it? Like, people waiting at Jurassic Park for, like, like a day in advance to, like, you know, just to get a spot to stand to watch the game on a screen. It's just the level of dedication has been nuts. Um, and I guess, you know, this being a free event, uh, technically, you know, uh, other than, you know, your blood, sweat, and tears. Um, I guess this elicited a lot of people to want to dedicate that amount of time. I, I mean, I, the, from the moment I got there, like I knew that this was like, wow, like it was it, almost impossible to even try to get like a nice view and like to see the, the, the length that people went to try to get a view were crazy. Like almost like every traffic, like walkway light had somebody climbing, climbing up on top of it. Um, bus shelters had people standing on top of them. Uh, you know, um, any type of like patio seating on a balcony, uh, a number of like windows in the, in the business buildings above everything was like sold out as they say. So, um, it was incredible again, just to see the, the amount of turnout. And of course, just as, you know, 
that which made it that much much more disheartening to to hear about some of the events that you know took place um later on in the day unfortunately it it was very unfortunate that it seemed that you know everyone in the city was having an incredible time it was like a level of a celebration that uh, the city has never seen at this scope this level um you know just like the sheer numbers like this was into the seven figures of people that were showing up it was astronomical and then there was a shooting uh were you still there when when this occurred did you have any uh did, did you see people running away because the videos were pretty alarming of how fast people were just retreating no, thankfully I was not. I was pretty much out of the area by then. I didn't really find out about it until I got home, and I was not even close to that area. Uh, but you know, don't don't you know? I didn't think for a second though that like the thought didn't cross my mind that I was in like a busy, busy like part of town and thinking about like you know, it's just kind of the the unfortunate times that we live in. It's just anytime I'm in a and, and a let's public, be honest, in, in this city, this like Toronto is like this is a problem in this city. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. Um you can't disguise that fact. No, unfortunately. Um but yeah, like you know, I, I in a public space like I I thought about like man, like what what if something happened here? How would I make my escape? And it's just so shitty that like my fears were somewhat confirmed because later on in the day, like a bunch of people who waited so long just to kind of like take part in the ceremony went from wanting to celebrate something to fearing for their lives and literally running like and warning everybody around them that uh, there's a shooter or something's going on. Uh, run for your life, everybody. And that's, it's incredibly upsetting. It's incredibly, that much more upsetting that it happened in my city and, you know, um, heartbreaking to me. Amazing that there weren't more, there were, you know, there were four people uh, injured and apparently non life threatening injuries. Um, there were also uh, two stabbings that occurred at the Eaton Center, which, of all people, uh, Don Callis was apparently inside of the Eaton Center and was tweeting about it, um, where they ended up, you know, just conveying that people were frightened in the basement of the Eaton Center. Um, you know, those, you know, when I saw that video of everyone just running, um, it's amazing there were not more people injured because that could have turned into uh, even more of a chaotic scene than it was. Um I know I'm just relieved it was somewhat contained, uh, but still awful that these incidents occurred. Yeah. Did you know Ziggy was like around the Eaton Center at that time? No, no, I didn't. I just saw him post about it on Facebook. Yeah, terrible. Like, I mean, you know, uh, I'm sure I knew a whole lot of people that were probably within that vicinity and uh, how fucking awful. How long did you last at the parade? When was a uh, tap out time for you? Oh, my God. Honestly, um, I wanted to leave as soon as I got there and I saw the crowds and I saw that they were running about like two hours behind, uh, the parade was. So I was pretty much just committed to like, not like in my mind, I was like, what, what are we doing? We're standing around <laughs> for hours. Like, so that we can, see. it's the ability to say that you were part of this historical moment. I'm... And that was really, that was weighing on me that, cause I, the workspace I work at is not too far from where it started. And it was just, by the time I sat down, I turned it on at my desk and I watched the coverage all day long and I, w I was okay just watching it because I think if I had gone there, first of all, I would have been going by myself and I think it would have been after 40 minutes, I think I would have been like, okay, I I've got my experience here and I was I was okay with my decision to uh, not try and I was also like, it. I wouldn't have seen a damn thing. 
Yeah, I mean, I'll say like, you know, I, I think, you know, the last time I went to one of these was the Jays winning in 93. And I you went to a you went to the parade in 93? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So I can say, you know, 10 year old way probably really had a great time. I don't even remember it that much, but I, but he probably had a great time just, you know, being able to get a glimpse of these superstars that he saw on TV, won a championship in person. Um, 35 year old way doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> 35-year-old way is happy to just watch it all on, on TV uh, where you probably got the best view uh, of anywhere because instead, um, don't get me wrong, I'm very grateful I ended up going, uh, mainly because my girlfriend really wanted to go, but, um, you know, I guess I have a a, a, a really wide-angle photo of... Um, <laughs> of uh, how, how, how big... Pascal Siakam to show for it. How big of a factor was Instagram in your decision to go today? Zero. I didn't. Oh, okay. I didn't feel like posting anything. I did post, however, because uh, uh, I also went out to uh, after they won on Thursday. Uh, my girlfriend and I, we again. This was like a thirty-five-year-old decision. Do I go out, or do I just sit here and watch it on my couch? And we made the decision at that point. You know what? Let's go out. It's late. Uh, these are my hours anyway, so. Made the drive out to Young and Dundas the night after they won. You drove there? We drove there, and, we, and then we parked. Oh, and then wow. We, that's that's gutsy. Well, you, we parked nearby and then walked the rest of the way. But um, that was... Like, it was my area. It was packed with, with people. Like, the whole city was just going nuts on, what was it, Thursday night? Yes, yes. Yeah, it Into was the amazing. wee hours. Yes. It really was. It was really cool. Like, you know, Young and Dundas was completely packed, like... Um, again, people climbing onto bus shelters and like at one o'clock in the morning, um, just celebrations going everywhere and almost all of it completely peaceful. Everybody had a great time, um, standing on buses, just, you know, and cops were just watching and like letting people have a great time. That was great. And that's what I thought today would be too. And I think for the most part, considering the number of people, um, it was very peaceful, save for obviously, you know, some very serious incidents that, I mean... You know, I hope I hope become addressed somehow. Well, that is uh, the Raptors' insanity. Um, can, dare I ask a, a prediction of you, Way, on the Kawhi front? What What do you feel is is going to happen? And you can uh, you can uh, reserve an answer if you don't feel like giving us one. Well, I guess I've learned that you know these are just questions and and they don't necessarily mean anything. So way everyone was so happy for you last week for the I I was happy for you that the Raptors pulled this one out. I wasn't so confident last Monday. I thought, uh oh, this is the slippery slope. Yeah, um, I think he's staying. You know, like really, who leaves a championship team? Come on, he also got a plant. He got the plant today. Yes, yeah, that was a that was a great moment. Uh, I didn't. Oh, I didn't see the handing of the of the plant. But oh, it's a, it's. You can find the video of him actually being handed this like cactus. Wow, cool. So All he right. has to stay. That's the end of the Raptors talk. We will resume this maybe in October. Maybe John. Maybe John. How was uh, Father's Day for you? Father's Day was uh, tremendous, actually. Uh, way you you played a, a small part in my Father's Day gift. I understand. Did I? I got. Oh a, yes, I guess I did. <laughs> I got uh, from my lovely wife and uh, one-year-old a custom post-wrestling sweatshirt. Man, I haven't even seen it. I just heard about it. So, how is it? It's honestly great. It fits perfectly, and it's like 
I'm a big stickler for uh, sweatshirts with the uh, the sleeve room because I like to have a, a a certain ability to just easily pull up the sleeves. And these these are like a ten out of ten with the sleeves. It's like my biggest uh, thing to deal with with long sleeved anything is like the sleeves. And these sleeves pass the test with flying colors. I'm happy to hear that. That's a one of a kind. I hear. It is. It's literally the only one that has been made. So, yeah. Uh, what else did I do on Father's Day? Uh, we. It, it wasn't uh, too crazy. Went out for breakfast, hung out during the day, and then uh, what did I do last night? I celebrated by not having to watch a WWE pay per view. So it was a great day. A great Father's Day for that reason alone. Yeah, this was actually a quiet weekend in regards to. Uh, you know, there was a Bellator card on Friday I watched, and then it was actually very minimal stuff I had to watch this weekend. Well, enjoy it while it lasts. Well, uh, the G1 announcements all came out, and I realized, well, I, I hope you enjoyed this weekend, John, because the next two months of your life is going to be non-existent. As we so chat about. In full. We will. But first of all, let's, gi- let's give some stuff away. We don't have any plants to give you, but in lieu of that, we have... A post-wrestling combo pack consisting of a t-shirt, stickers, and a coffee sleeve, and a signed postcard to a lucky supporter of the Post Wrestling Cafe, postwrestlingcafe.com, our Patreon. All right, tonight's winner, we are going deep into the list of names. Uh, For those unaware, if you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, not only do you get multiple bonus shows every week, but you also are eligible in this weekly draw on Rewind to Raw to leave with a post-wrestling prize pack. So, of those names, Way is searching. He is going this week to the very top of the list, and he is turning it over. And that winner's name, who we may or may not butcher the pronunciation of, is... Alrighty. Um, that winner is... Stefan Gosain. Stefan Gosain, I, you know, a long, I, a long time support, a long time listener. I've seen his name plenty of times. I just had had to pronounce it now, so I I might be completely butchering it. But Stefan Gosain, congratulations! Well, I enjoy that you pronounce it. So then they bug you the next day, not me. <laughs> so congratulations, Stefan! Uh, you are the winner of the post wrestling prize pack, and not only that, but Guess what? There's a whole week of shows coming your way. Starting off with this, and then we've got Rewind to SmackDown coming up on Tuesday night, where Way and I will go through SmackDown in California. Wednesday night, it's the double shot. Any teasing way of what you're going to discuss? I think, well, you know, you can always expect a bit of uh, being the elite, maybe a bit of road to double or nothing, or road to fighter, I mean, if that's out. Uh, And then who knows what else? Nothing prepared, I'd say it. I think I'm going to listen to that Tony Khan interview on Steve Austin's podcast tomorrow. So maybe we'll discuss that on Wednesday yeah. as well. If it's newsworthy, we have a certain level, a certain bar. You got you to be breaking some news for us to get our attention. So that may be discussed on Wednesday. Thursday, up next, we'll be out with Braden Harrington and Davey Portman. Uh, do you want to quickly mention their, their tailgate party they have announced for SummerSlam weekend? Absolutely. Uh our friends, Braden and Davey, have decided to put on, right before NXT Toronto takes place, the official post-wrestling BDE Up Next Takeover Tailgate Party. This takes place at 
a bar called Wide Open, which is at 139A Spadina Avenue, which is uh, about a 20-minute walk from the Scotiabank Arena. So before you go to watch TakeOver, join Braden and Davey, and who knows who else will, will pop up, but um, they're going to be at this bar called Wide Open from 1 o'clock to 5 o'clock on Saturday afternoon, and they'll be doing a whole bunch of fun things, including Mario Kart, uh, including a Q&A with Is Braden this and Mario Davey. Kart or Birio Kart? I think officially... I don't know if Birio Oh, Kart it might is... legally have to be Mario Kart. Well, yeah, I don't know if... You know, unless unlike the Super Smash Brothers, I think in this case we will err uh, towards the, the Nintendo franchise. They'll um, be playing a new game, the Super Smash Brothers. Oh, beautiful. Wonderful. Uh, but more, I'm most excited for John. <laughs> a live watch-along of Johnny Gargano versus Andrade Cien Almas. From Takeover Philadelphia 2018. Man, if you show up single, you won't be leaving single. This is going to be the like for the the matchmaking segment of the night. Oh yeah, because you'll be Gargano and Almas and chilling with Braden and Davy themselves. Wow, this is this is a truly interactive experience here that Braden and Davy are are putting forward. Yep. Plus, uh, up next merchandise: five dollar drinks, which are cheaper than any other bar in the city, apparently. Uh, and so these guys are going to be wrecked for takeover. I think that's the goal. Um, tickets are only seven fifty Canadian, uh, is, is my assumption. I believe so. Seven fifty Canadian. And you can get them at postwrestling.com slash NXT tailgate. NXT T-A-I-G-A. Sorry. T-A-I-L-G-A-T. Yes, that's right. Yes. And I guess you and I are officially going to be on standby for when we get a drunken text at nine o'clock saying, can you guys do the post show? You know, usually uh, WH Park gets their drunken texts, but I understand WH Park will be in Toronto at the time. He might even make an appearance at uh, said tailgate party. So who are they going to text at like 2 a.m., 3 a.m.? Well, it'll be WH only. It'll be less inconvenient. It won't be uh it'll actually be more, more. It'll actually be more inconvenient. Yeah. I mean, middle of the night for them is perfect for WH to receive these drunken texts. I'm surprised he hasn't blocked them yet. Do you, have you ever blocked a caller on your phone? Uh, from like, you know, um, like, uh, telemarketers and people like, yeah, I, I was getting this, this last week I've been getting this number and it's not, I have like a uh, caller ID and it's not listing like the place that it's from a bank. And then I finally answered it and they go right into their spiel and it's like, uh, you're just trying to sneak in and ed- like they're, they're absolute scientists at this stuff to not let you get a word in edgewise. And I just, boom, I can't talk right now. Okay, I'll call back tomorrow, and I hang up. It's like no, that's it's so, ugh. You know what I mean? Why don't Intrusive. You hang up? I'm I'm too polite to just hang up. I've yelled at people, but I can't just hang up on the mid sentence. But I block this person, and it's wonderful. That's more rude. What blocking them? Yeah. What happens what when is- you try to call someone and you're blocked? Does you're- it just ring and ring and ring? Maybe you just get a, like a dial, like a tone or like a voice from the phone company that says this this person has blocked you or something. I don't know. I don't know. Because I like it like the mute button. I would love the idea that it's just ringing for two minutes and it's not picking up. It's like someone that you've muted that they're they think they're they're really getting to you and it's it's just going into the abyss. I could block you. You could try to call me. And try. I'm surprised I'm not blocked to be honest. Um. While we're talking about SummerSlam weekend, let us uh, quickly plug our own show that is going on Sunday, August the 11th, 1 p.m. 
at the John Candy Box Theater. Oh, yeah. Very exciting. Yes. Our own live Q&A is taking place from the Second City, 99 Blue Jays Way, third floor. Uh, Postwrestling.com slash live. I'm sorry. I'm all plugged out today. Okay. Well, that's all. Buy your tickets now. We hope to see you there Sunday, August the 11th. And wrapping up our week here at Post Wrestling on the show front, we go to Thursday afternoon. We're going to have the cafe hangout, 3 p.m. Eastern time, preview of Stomping Grounds. Damian Abraham will be popping by. It's a doubleheader of the wrestlers this week. So we'll chat with Damian about those two episodes. And then Friday, the review of Ant-Man coming to the Post Wrestling Cafe. All members will get this review. It's the return of the MCU review. Yeah, I'm trying, you know, like in, when they pr- started promoting Ant-Man, they had all this clever, like, um, promotion for it that, that was like making fun of like, or making, ma- like just using the idea that this was like really small. So for for instance, they had like a big poster that said Ant-Man on top and then like pretty much like white space. But then if you looked really closely, you'll see like Ant-Man, like in really, really tiny printing, like, or like the... The, the character itself. Um, can't really do that with audio. No. No. Um, I should have changed up the font maybe for the feedback thread. Made it like size one. Maybe we'll but just anyway, talk in really like small voices. <laughs> I think the novelty will be uh, exhausted very quickly if we try that. Then this weekend, Cruel Summer will be out Saturday and Sunday morning. Saturday show covers the 1997 G1 final. WH Park has enlisted Braden Harrington to chat Kensuke Sasaki versus Hiroyoshi Tenzan. And then 1998, Dylan Fox from the Eastern Lariat podcast will be chatting the 1998 G1 final. And it all wraps up Sunday night, WWE Stomping Grounds post-show. Way and I will be here live for Double Double Plus patrons as we will be going through the Stomping Grounds pay-per-view that I am counting down the seconds until and taking your phone calls and Skype calls, which will be the true highlight of the night. Trust me. So that is all coming up this week. Postwrestling.com, postwrestlingcafe.com. That is it. That's the end of the plugs way. We can now move on. Let's do it. The G1. They're doing another tournament this year. And we have all the listed participants and the matches. So let us first go through these blocks. I want to get, I have no idea, Way, what your reaction is. Maybe you hate all this. The A block will consist of Kazuchika Okada, Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kota Ibushi, Kenta, Lance Archer, Will Ospreay, Evil, Bad Luck Fale, Sonata, and Zack Sabre Jr. In the B block, Shingo Takagi, Juice Robinson, Jeff Cobb, Tomohiro Ishii, Tetsuya Naito, Toriyano, Jay White, Hiroki Goto, John Moxley, and just for waiting, a whole summer of Taichi. Oh man, he got in this year. He got in. He edged yeah. out Minoru Suzuki. <laughs> I think, you know, of notable absences, I suppose Minoru Suzuki is the one that maybe has received the most attention. Um, and I think we also... I understand, to... the, I understand the decision that they made. I mean, I, I think they're looking at Obviously, if it, if it's coming down to him and Taichi, it's the like they they obviously really. they they are pushing Taichi like that is a project for them, and yes. I think they look at Minoru Suzuki as someone who is odd man out this year and is not someone that they have plans to be a big star for them five years from now. And Taichi, I mean Taichi's not a young guy either, but is clearly they they believe he's on the ascent rather than um, Suzuki, who's just the odd person out and. 
oh, while I would have liked to have seen Suzuki with some of these guys, I don't, I, I don't throw out the idea that you may not get some of those matches down the road. But that was, uh, yeah, the numbers game was not kind to Suzuki this year. Um, the man just turned 51 today. So <laughs> happy birthday to the scariest man on earth. And, um, you know, I think uh, another reminder that maybe he doesn't need to do the whole tournament. Like, I would rather see another few years added to Minoru Suzuki's career than to perhaps see him go through the uh, the grueling process of the G1. Um, not that he can't do it, of course, he can, but take a break. Relax a little. Enjoy your year. Maybe next year you'll come back for the G1. I'm okay with that. Um, but for the most part, I think we all we know all the surprises. We know, you know, Kenta. We know John Moxley. We know Shingo Takagi. Uh, we even know Will Ospreay. So, but, you know, just to see those few names added to the mix, I think, has already completely recolored this entire tournament from last year's. Um, the appearance of Lance Archer and not uh, Davy Boy Smith Jr. perhaps is, is another notable uh, story. Yeah, Davy Boy Smith Jr. no longer with New Japan. So I don't know what that's going to mean for Lance Archer if they'll eventually uh, line him up with a new partner, if he's going to be a singles performer coming out of this. I guess that's kind of the question of what level of push does Lance Archer get in this tournament? I imagine he'll get a few um, key wins because I, I don't see him being a major point getter, especially the fact that he's in the A block, which, I mean, he is going to be in there with some of the best wrestlers in the world over the course of uh, this six-week-long tournament. I guess he is somewhat surprising his addition in that like you I never really kind of got much of a uh a a feel that like or a preview that he was really type of you know in any type of notable plans for New Japan uh maybe more surprising that you know somebody else from Ring of Honor other than uh, Je- uh Jeff Cobb was an added to to this whole thing. Yeah, I mean Lance Archer when he's in there with the right guys and I mean, this guy, uh, he, he can rise up to a, to a certain level. I'm not going to say that this guy is going to blow everyone away in this tournament, but I feel that he's especially going to be in there with enough guys that he may be a pleasant surprise for some because I've seen him have some very, very good performances for a guy his size and also the fact he's been their kind of default promoter in Dallas. I think being in there, they wanted him in, especially on that first night, uh, in the A block. Uh, we'll see how much that really means. But yeah, I think that there's some pressure on in this tournament, especially in that block, to really live up to some very high expectations that are going to be set from everyone else in that block and to go out there and really justify your position for all of these guys. There are a number of people who are coming in here for the first time. Um, we, can, we can look at, uh, we won't go through all of the match announcements, but the first night in Dallas is going to be headlined by the first ever U.S. meeting between Kazuchika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi, along with Kota Bushi against Kenta, Osprey against Archer, Evil versus Bad Luck Fale, and Sonata versus Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, notable is the fact that not only are they not doing A and B block matches that first night, it's just the A block, uh, but John Moxley won't even be on the undercard. They have announced that uh, he will miss the opening day along with the press conference uh, and instead, he will be joining the tour the following weekend, July the 13th, uh, when the B Block kicks off. So no John Moxley in Dallas, and they're telling people that ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I've seen some maybe speculation coming out of this about what this might mean for his AEW deal, whether or not it's AEW um, perhaps 
uh, or his his sta- his sta- contract with AEW that, that prevents him from doing New Japan shows in the U.S. I I don't know. I don't think any of us know at this point yet. Uh, while we're recording the show, maybe that'll be more cleared up uh, in the future. But um, it's you know I think a little disappointing perhaps to know that John Moxley is a part of this card and not in the show that's in the U.S. where he might mean the most. Um, but nonetheless, like look at this lineup. It's Kota Ibushi versus Kenta. It's Okada versus Tanahashi. I, and I I don't really think you know you could really be disappointed if you had tickets. Um, do, how do you think this will do by the day of? It's it's going to be interesting what the walk up is like in Dallas because I can't see a lot of people making plans now to travel to Dallas on such short notice. I I really think that it was a mistake not at least getting out the fact that Okada and Tanahashi were going to be part of this um, ahead of time, that they they had to wait to announce it until this past weekend. Um, but that said, uh, I think that they're going to do a healthy number in a, at the American Airlines Center. The thing is, that arena is just so big that like by by me saying healthy, I'm saying like five to 6,000. I think that's what you're kind of shooting for here, which... Uh, some people might peg that as a disappointment. Um, perhaps it is when you're looking at the scale of what uh, all elite wrestling would, would be able to draw in that same building. Um, I think they, they put way too much stock into what not just New Japan would mean, but what the first night of the G1 would mean. And I think everyone knew you were going to get a really solid card. And if you did buy a ticket just based on um, the G1, I can't see how you could possibly be disappointed with what they're delivering for you. Um, getting to see Okada Tanahashi alone. And obviously they probably had this in mind when uh, Madison Square Garden was coming up and a lot of people were clamoring for them to do it at that particular arena. Um, but they looked at Dallas as a big one as well. So um, I think that it's going to be a really hot show, but I, I I think you'd be crazy to imagine that they're going to uh, fill this building um, I would say the goal is to try and get half of what the American Airlines Center holds, which it's God, it's like a 17, 18,000 seat arena, which I'm sure they'll have tarped off to accommodate a, a smaller amount so it doesn't look bad. Mm-hmm. On that show, I'm really curious to see how Kenta's going to look because um, I think, you know, everybody, like, I'm seeing his name all over this schedule, of course. And I think I have, like, really heightened expectations about what it might mean because I'm picturing Kenta and not Hideo Itami. But physically, I mean, he is very much perhaps still Hideo Itami. But I'm always curious to see perhaps what's, what style changes being out of, the, out of the WWE and NXT system might bring for him. Um, and this first match against Kota Ibushi, I think, will be a great test. Yeah, he's got a, a lot to prove in this tournament, and he's also coming into it. I mean, you're going from a pretty reduced schedule he was having towards the end in WWE to the hardest tournament in the industry. Like this is going to be a really taxing tournament for a lot of people. And he's not the youngest guy. He's 38 years old. You mentioned the injury, the history of injuries and you're starting off with Kota Ibushi. So, you know what I mean? Like it's, he is going to be asking a lot of himself uh, throughout this entire tournament. I, I do worry about that of just seeing if he'll hold up for the whole tournament. Any other highlights from the schedule that you wanted to point out? Man, there's, um, yeah, we can, we can probably spend more time looking at all this, but there's, um, I, I guess just looking, it's building up towards the final three nights at Budokan Hall, 
with the A Block final night featuring Okada versus Kota Bushi and Tanahashi versus Will Ospreay, Kenta versus Zack Saber Jr. Um, among the the top three matches. Um, quickly, what do you what do you think about the B Block? Um, it's it's one where I think that you have you have so much uh, of the the big big names concentrated in the A Block, but the B Block's got. Shingo Takagi, um, it's got Ishii, Naito, like this is a pretty stacked block in and of itself, um, and, and John Moxley, which I think comes with a lot of interesting matches of how he's going to be paired with Ishii, with Naito, with Takagi, and I, lo- I love that Jeff Cobb's in this as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think B-Block is really dragging at all. Like, I, I think, just look at the the list of people in... Uh, you'll you'll see just a, a great deal of people that I think are very capable of delivering like tournament stealing performances. So you know I look forward to seeing how Jay White will do this time around. Where I'm sure he he won't be booked. Hopefully without kind of the same shenanigans that you know he and uh, Tamatanga were known for last year. Um, Shingo Takagi as a part of the G1 going up against everybody in that uh, uh, bracket, including. His LIJ leader in Tetsuya Naito, I find that match very fascinating to see what they'll do there. Uh, of course, you have Tomohiro Ishii, who like always steals the show. Like last year, um, I feel like he was like kind of in the running for like one of the best performers of, of the whole thing. And also Juice Robinson, I think it's you know he's still kind of in a position now where he has to prove himself um, further in, in order to elevate him to that next level. And on this last night, he faces John Moxley, the guy who just beat him for the U.S. Championship. So. You know, I guess you could somewhat expect uh, that story to either come full circle or perhaps, you know, continue somehow uh, with Juice Robinson and John Moxley. Yep. Um, I think if you're looking at last year, like there's a big turnover of guys who were in last year. But when you look at it, it's, you know, if you're swapping out Kenny Omega, that's a pretty difficult name to replace. But Will Ospreay is like probably the best possible person to insert there. And then you're looking at, Hangman Page is out. I, I, would, su- I would suggest in terms of like, you know, star power for like a, uh, a a North American fan or an international fan. I think Kenny certainly had that. But then you also have, I think, John Moxley, who kind of fulfills that that role, at least in terms of, you know, a, a casual, non, you know, regular New Japan fans curiosity. Right. But I, I would say that I, I would definitely feel Dallas would be hotter if they knew Kenny Omega was part of this G1. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think that's I mean, where the big difference is. Same with Moxley. Like, if Moxley was a part of that Dallas show, I think it would make a big difference. Um, yeah, so, and when you look at the others who are out, Michael Elgin, Hangman Page, Tamatonga, Togi Makabe, and who's in? Like, I, I think that this year's tournament has all the potential in the world to be the best G1 that they've put out. That A block is just, it, to me, it could be one of the, the best blocks they've ever had like that that series of matches is going to be you're, you're getting dream matches every single night mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we'll be talking about every single one yes uh we will be doing our our regular g1 coverage uh so uh, be sure to catch all of that and that will be beginning saturday july the 6th with the dallas show at the american airlines center um We've already gone long, so let's just uh, quickly zip through some uh, some news here. On today's edition of Being the Elite, they did announce the mystery partner for Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix uh, to take on Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks at Fighter Fest, and it is going to be Laredo Kid, who just popped up on Impact Wrestling last week in a uh, segment where he uh, stole the wallets of uh, the Rascals. Um, so this was revealed and should be 
a pretty hot match. Like this looks like a great card at Fighter Fest. Yeah, I don't really know Laredo Kid, so I'm looking forward to seeing him here. Um, He's just coming off that that match with uh, El Hijo del Vikingo, so there's a ton of buzz on him at the moment. And yeah, great opportunity, I think, to for him to stand out on this show. Uh, Fight TV has announced they're going to be carrying this show. It's going to be $10 US. So this is, uh, it's fine. It's listed as $10 US, but it's available to those outside of the US because of the BR Live restrictions where... If you sign up for BR Live in the U.S., you get it for free. Okay, so it's free in the U.S. on BR Live. Outside of the U.S., it's $10 on Fight. Correct. Got it. Cool. Yes. Which I think it's fair to... This is a $10 show. At least, yeah. Um, uh, Did you happen to see this fall that Aerostar took at the AAA show on Sunday night? I guess suppose technically it was a dive, but yeah, pretty much he fell on a group of guys. I, I, did I mean, he... He like he's done this a bunch of times. He climbed this lighting rig, and he, the speed at which he came down at was frightening. The landing was frightening, and just crashed his his neck on the floor. And apparently, uh, Brian Alvarez has reported that he suffered a concussion, uh, which is not surprising. And uh, beyond that, I mean, it seems that um, you know he's. I guess relatively okay if you had watched the clip in comparison to how he's feeling. I'm sure he doesn't feel great, um, but I guess this could have been a lot worse. This was a really crazy clip to watch, and I feel we're saying that a lot, like almost every week now. Well, yeah, like hot, hot off the heels of, of uh, Naito and, and Ibushi, I think you know the discussion continues to be what is too much risk uh, for our the wrestlers that we watch on a regular basis. Um, I feel like you know. Um, we're being that's being tested weekly and i think the audience's appetite for that level of risk is being tested on a regular basis and it's interesting how we're kind of in a, in a time where people are, are 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 feeling kind of at least responsible to enough to speak out when they see something that they don't like um i you know this i certainly watching it i certainly felt was unnecessary and knowing even the result of the, the man suffering concussion first of all he's extremely lucky Secondly, I mean, is it worth a concussion? I don't think so at all. No, absolutely not. So, no. you know, uh, would it have made that match any any less uh, spectacular without something like that? I mean, I didn't see the match, so I can't tell you, but I just, it doesn't make me interested to see more. Yeah, and I, I'm not expecting um, massive sweeping changes, but I am kind of curious with Akota Bushi, who... You know, it was said that he kind of felt like really disappointed that there was such backlash towards the spot because he was okay afterwards. He believed he was okay. And, you know, there was a large negative opinion. Like, I think it ruined the match for a lot of people. And that to me is one thing that might actually um, ring ring true to a performer is realizing that it hurt the actual match if if they take that to heart or if they just continue because that's the way they know. And Kota Bushi seems like a guy pretty set in his ways that that is, this is a guy who is going to take those enormous risks. And I can't say I, I'm expecting him to tone anything down, but if he believes that it's a negative to the match, um, does that does that alter any, any of his thought process? We shall see the next time. I mean, I'm sure the G1 will be very telling of, of perhaps uh, what his philosophy might be. I think we've seen like, Somebody like, like Will Ospreay, perhaps, you know, perhaps take some of that kind of criticism to tone down maybe some of the risks that he's been known to take in the past. 
Um, we'll see if, if it affects Ibushi the, the, the other way. I think what it comes down to is just like, you know, in the end, like, you know, wrestling fans really care about the performers that they, they watch and that they're fans of. And um, nobody really wants to see anybody get hurt for real. Yeah, and I think more and more people are realizing, like, we are, it's inevitable that there's going to be one of these where the person doesn't get up from it. And, I mean, it's happened in the past, and I think it just seems that it's it's happening so often now that we're, we're really pushing things, and it's almost inevitable, sadly. Um, that same show, Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix won back the AAA tag titles from the Young Bucks. And our final news item here, I just wanted to get some of your reaction to this, any any memories particularly that stand out or maybe any future plans for one Chael Sonnen, who lost to Lyoto Machida on Friday night at the Bellator 222 card, announced his retirement immediately afterwards. And certainly this is a guy that has uh, a lot of uh, broadcasting opportunities uh, with Bellator. Scott Coker had stated he can remain there as an analyst as long as he pleases. And I think there's a natural curiosity if the WWE has an interest in a Chael Sonnen if he is contractually free to do so and be able to be involved in WWE in any capacity, whether it be with SmackDown moving to Fox or as I threw out my update today on that studio show that they're going to be doing on FS1 that I think he's got a history with Fox. He's worked with those people and granted he was also fired from them when he had his drug test failures. Um, But there's certainly opportunities for him. I'm just curious if WWE would be knocking on his door and wanting to talk with him about possible opportunities. At this point, I imagine, I imagine they they would consider almost anybody who um, might make a dent in not just their ratings, but also their competitions. And, you know, a lot of talk has, has taken place of whether, whether Chael might do something for the WWE. I think he'd be far better in a system outside of the WWE where he would be less produced. And I'm thinking, you know, something like AEW perhaps and if they're on AEW's radar, then they're definitely on WWE's radar so that they, you know, no one else can have him. So um, it depends what Chael wants to do, I think. Um, but I would personally, I think he would probably be a, a good choice maybe for that Fox show. But they also have like a whole roster of talent already that maybe are kind of waiting to do a show like that. Do they need another announcer? Um, especially when they all end up sounding the same anyway, because they're all coached to talk the same and not really given much room for freedom. Um, at, at that point, why even get Chael Sonnen if you're just going to dress him up like anybody else and have him talk like anybody else? So I, I don't know. I wonder if Chael kind of like considers what life might be like under a WWE production. He's one I could, I could certainly see them at least wanting to talk to because I, I think that much like any time they make a big change with their broadcast partner, they like to make a lot of changes when they move there. And it would seem that come SmackDown in October, that it would be the time to, you know, with Corey Graves, decide what show this guy is going to be on. Because it's it's one thing to be doing Monday and Tuesday night. It's a lot more to be going to Raw on Monday night, presumably coming home, and then you're back somewhere on Friday night and bouncing between both brands doing both shows that there seems like there could be an opening for a new analyst, whether it be on raw or SmackDown, wherever they feel Corey is, is better uh, valued at. But what's the point of putting somebody like Nigel McGuinness in, you know, NXT, if, if not to perhaps gear him for that next role, because I think they, well, it depends on what kind of value they see in a Chael Sonnen um, that they believe would have more relevancy than a Nigel McGuinness who, I mean, Nigel McGuinness is someone who is, worked pretty hard right now. Like I, 
until watching 205 Live last week, where it really dawned on me, this dude is doing 205 Live, NXT UK, NXT, like every week. He's probably doing other shows that I'm not even uh, watching every week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's at least traveling to 205 Live tapings and then SmackDown on top of that. So, um, well, I mean, that's kind of the Corey Graves schedule, isn't it? That's the template. All right. Well, those are all your news items. Uh, you can go get all caught up to date at postwrestling.com. Raw was on in the Staples Center on Monday night from Los Angeles, California, meaning that they got out of the show at 8 o'clock p.m. And I'm going to bring up that every single time there's a West Coast show because I just I'm envious. You want to um, move to Vancouver? I'm considering it. Maybe. It'd be so much easier. Could you imagine doing this show way? And you and I are like done by 945. Also means I don't. We'd have to start it from like five till eight, and I mean I don't know when your family likes to have dinner, but that would be a very difficult. They would have to get used to watching Raw, yeah. While you wait, it's gonna be really tough way because I started Raw tonight and it was like still kind of bright outside, and then it's just dark darkness (laughs) in an hour. Uh, We had an injury on main event tonight. Uh, Sarah Logan was taking on Dana Brooke. And apparently landed a flying knee. And I saw the footage of Brooke. They immediately called off the match. And Brooke was uh, assisted to the back. She was walking. So she was okay. It seemed like it was a cut over her right eye. But there was a lot of blood. So hopefully she was okay. I'm hoping it was just a cut. And not anything more severe than that. But uh, worth noting. But uh, good on them. Immediately calling an end to the match. Which is probably what should happen in these situations. Especially for... You know, I I shouldn't say especially for something on main event. Like, they should have a consistent policy. I, I, I don't think we should be saying, well, this match isn't as important as something else. Do you think that might have anything to do with, like, them not wanting to stain the mat, perhaps? No. I, I think I think this was legitimately a, a safety precaution. I don't think they're too worried about just cleaning the mat or replacing it. Okay. Yeah. Just because, you know, it's before Raw and everything. But, yeah, that's that's good to hear. Raw itself started off with Elias in the ring, and he spoke to Anthony Davis today and asked why he would want to move to L.A., and he said, Elias, listen, I'm a piece of garbage, and I want to surround myself with garbage in L.A., and Elias said he was invited tonight by Baron Corbin and reveals a referee shirt underneath, and he gets attacked from behind by Seth Rollins wielding a chair, and this got big cheers he killed Elias with these chair shots, and Rollins said he's done playing games. Corbin has to find a new referee and warns the person that accepts the referee position for this Sunday has this awaiting them. And it was Seth Rollins, the uh, the Laparca of WWE on Monday night, the chairman. Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I it began kind of like a show long story of like Seth basically, you know attacking anybody who was even considering the role. Um, I liked it. I liked it too. I thought it made him kind of look like a badass. I think it's working for him. I Um, I think they they need this with a baby face because, man, do they make their baby faces look dumb a lot of times. And here was a guy that he knows he's getting fucked with this referee stipulation. So he's going to take take it into his own hands. I I thought... I did not mind this for one night of Seth just running roughshod on, on people. I thought it was um, a good use. Of, and Rollins was, my God, all over the show. I felt like, you know, the rise of Becky Lynch and the way they even decided to, like, 
turn Charlotte, if you could turn call that even a turn when they initially did it by having her like use the kendo stick on Ronda so so much. I feel like they've kind of like become very aware that their baby faces get more over when they start to look, you know, a bit more kind of uh, violent and aggressive. Um, kendo stick attacks always get, get loud applauses. And here it was Seth Rollins with that same level of intensity, only using a chair. Uh, but boy, man, he, he did some damage with to that chair, at least, uh, on some of these backs. So Elias is laid out, and next was the Fatal Five-Way. So each person took turns doing their entrance and attacking Elias. First, it was Miz coming out and hit him with a skull-crushing finale. Eli- uh, Elias got speared by Bobby Lashley, took a Cesaro swing, a code breaker from Ricochet that is called Double Knees to the Face, and a power slam from Braun Strowman. This used to be the treatment that someone would get uh, right before they were like being written off the show. And that's like, they just killed Elias here, but it's Elias. Like he's sort of already kind of like a joking character anyway. So like you, you recently won the 24 seven championship. So I think if you've even touched that belt, you're pretty much, you know, so low on the totem pole that you can, you're a comedy guy and you can kind of afford things like this. Certainly, like, doesn't lose that. Like, he's in the same spot he is now after tonight. But I thought this was, like, a fun house show type of segment. Um, It made, like, sort of an unusual, like, a, a typical boring set of entrances into something rather memorable and fun. I also like the start of Roth, that we just got right into things. It wasn't uh, a big, dramatic Everyone has to make their entrance. All these guys have to cut promos. It was a pretty quick start to Raw. Like, we just got right into a match right off the bat. It was a great variation to get all the people in the ring uh, without them having to, you know, cut promos on each other. Instead, it was them doing their finishing move on Elias. I thought it was quite brilliant and fun. So, Miz Lashley, Cesaro Ricochet, and Braun Strowman winner faces Samoa Joe for the United States title on Sunday at Stomping Grounds. Early on, it's an elimination match. So Cesaro lifted up Braun onto his shoulders and drove him off. The neutralizer got countered, and then uh, he comes back and power slams Cesaro after catching him from a reverse cross, then power slams Lashley on top of Cesaro, and Braun pins Cesaro for the first elimination. Lashley then got distracted, took another power slam, Braun pinned him, and then he starts delivering shoulder tackles to Miz and Ricochet on the floor, He attacks Miz on the floor. Lashley then returns to the ring, spears Braun. Cesaro hits the neutralizer, and then Ricochet hits a 630, and Cesaro, Lashley, and Ricochet all pin Braun Strowman. Uh, I love the fact, at first I thought, oh, they're going to do like a triple pin, and they're all going to get the title shot or something like that. And then when you watch this, you realize, no, they just couldn't possibly allow Ricochet to pin this man on his own. They needed some excuse to allow Braun to be pinned by this little man, Ricochet. Well, yeah, I mean... Like, that was their only role here, was to not make it look like Braun's getting pinned by someone smaller, which tells you everything well, about what they see. It's certainly, yeah. I mean, they see Ricochet as, you know, like a Rey Mysterio type, somebody who is probably too small to be in there with, like, the big boys. Um, but he's a high flyer, and he tries really hard. Um, but I mean, I feel like they, do you think that the Miz could have pinned Braun Strowman if it was him? Well, the Miz tapped out to Shane McMahon. So I don't, I don't know where that puts him in the, the overall right. pecking order. Yeah. Um, you, I, 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 
I thought Cesaro looked really impressive with his power spots. Anytime he's able to get in, the, in there and to show that off, I think we always kind of like re, re, rekindle our, our love of Cesaro and, and the conversation of him getting a better push than he deserved. Unfortunately, after watching this tonight, I, you know, being first eliminated, I don't know if that push will ever come. Uh, nonetheless, he continues to like show such incredible feats of strength to a guy like Braun Strowman. Like if those two did a program, I think Cesaro would like gain so much from it if he was allowed to like, you know, win some matches for once. But I, what I didn't like about this was that like Ricochet not only like benefited from the, the heels work, Cesaro and Lashley, he like willingly accepted their help, willingly accepted them uh, after they had laid him out and then did the 630 and then willingly let them join him in the cover. And I feel like that kind of makes Ricochet look a bit like a heel himself, uh, like a bit of a maybe, you know, somebody who's willing to take like an unfair advantage. And, and it's not something that I would classify as that noble that a babyface would do. I would have preferred had it been, you know, uh, Ricochet just maybe being knocked out and then finding Strowman laid out without any knowledge that it was uh, Cesaro and Lashley who had helped. And then Ricochet perhaps did the pin. And maybe you had Miz joining for the for the pinfall instead of the, the two eliminated heels. That's just like maybe a, a tiny thing that I, I didn't really love about it. There's that. Um, what really hit me was just as much as you want to make arguments about like size not mattering. It a thousand percent matters in this company. And I think Ricochet, this this really outlined to me, like there's a ceiling of where they see him. And this was it. I mean, yeah, I, I do think, though, maybe a level of care is required. Like if it was simply Ricochet. It's also pr to protect Braun Strowman, you know, to have three people pin him makes Braun look like a bigger deal rather than just having. I mean, Ricochet. he just took all their finishers. I think it was like kind of established right there. Well, I guess they wanted to further protect him, you know? I don't know. It, it, it's kind of a bullshit thing that these two guys are out of the match and they get to get, be well, yeah, involved in the, in the literally in the pinning portion of the, the finish. Like, they were going overboard here. I mean, if you're so worried about it, this should have just been first pinfall wins. Yeah. You didn't, you didn't have to do an elimination match. If, you, if you're going to this effort that we don't want to beat Braun Strowman, there's a really easy way to get around that in a five-way. Oh, they could have, yeah. Ricochet continues down to the Miz and Ricochet, which really made the uh, the Shane finish last week really puzzling. But here we go. Ricochet is selling his knee, and the figure four gets applied. He turns it around. Eventually, they make it to the ropes. And then Miz is on the outside of the apron, and ugh, he grabbed the top ropes. I'm like, no, please don't. Don't do this. And Miz went for a springboard into mo the most clumsy code breaker you're going to see like this dude needs to stay on his feet so badly ricochet struggles to the top selling the knee he lands this 630 i swear to god he bounces off the miz oh, miz man. took all of this thing holy christ <laughs> and he's holding the left knee and he pins the miz uh, alone they let him pin the miz so ricochet wins and he will now challenge samoa joe on sunday for the united states title yeah, I found it interesting that, you know, they were kind of billing Miz as sort of like the hometown guy from Elliot and everything. And um, they had him lose, but I guess I guess Ricochet is the, the king of Reseda after all. So two L.A. <laughs> guys, not really from L.A. I thought Ricochet looked really good, you know. Um, Joe, uh, the match, I, I think it's certainly a match that this card needed. It's a match for the hardcores. 
It's a match that, you know, is built on the promise that these two will have a great in-ring bell-to-bell matchup. So Ricochet's just playing, he's playing Rey Mysterio while he's out. I mean, you know, we kid, but they could do another bullshit finish. You know, it could be like a a two-minute, a one-minute squash or or something, and we would all be disappointed coming out out of Sunday, but we'll see. There's at least the the chance that this could be a, a great match. Um, I just wish they had a bit more time to build to it, at least a set of promos from either man. But the match should be good. Joe then attacked Ricochet. He pulled down the rope, and Ricochet hit a Fosbury flop onto Joe uh, as our setup for the match. They showed Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch at the MTV Movie and TV Awards on Saturday in L.A. Yeah, I mean, we're you know, they're really not shying away from, like, did, did you know they're? Do you know they're dating? Yeah, they're they're trying to make sure that everybody knows that these two are dating, and I can only imagine that this is all being done to set up like a, a match. But man, they're like hitting it hard, like so often that I'm starting to to get like reality show, like you know, type of uh, cynicism from from this. I'm I don't I know it's real, obviously, but like. It's it's almost like they're they're turning like a shoot into a work by how often they're mentioning it. So Becky comes out for her promo. She calls out Lacey Evans. Evans is out. She gets made fun of for speaking slowly by Becky. And she says, deep down, I'm as tough as nails after what I've been through that even things the man cannot comprehend. And this is the first time it is brought up, at least on WWE television, that she is a U.S. Marine. And Becky acknowledges her story, respects what she has done, but she is steaming trash. And then Becky attacks her, hits her with a Bexploder, and takes her hat and wears her hat up the stage and then tosses it away. And this was our go-home segment for this program. I found this really perplexing, this entire segment. Like, this was, like, to me, the first step of the eventual baby-facing of Lacey Evans when they fully tell her whole background story, which is not going to leave her as a heel. Yeah. And I don't see them doing that on Sunday. Um, if they do do it on Sunday somehow, I don't know that I don't, it, it sort of be, it sort of would be a weird roundabout way of turning somebody baby face, but that's the, the inkling I got. Like I've never seen a heel bring up their past in the, in the American army as a way to get heel heat, unless that heel, of course, was, you know, talking outside of the U.S. But here, like, you have the ex-Marine bringing up her past as an ex-Marine in a feud with somebody who's not American. So I, I don't know if this L.A. audience really know, knew how to react to this. Sur- surely you can't boo a U.S. Marine. Um, so the fact that she brought this up, I don't really know what, what it was uh, supposed to have added. I guess they want to add some depth to her character, but... I just don't know if this is the right direction for that level of depth. It it kind of makes you respect her, if anything. It uh, actually... Like, as a baby face, you know? Right. It made me think of Chael Sonnen, of all people, because after the, Anderson, the first Anderson Silva fight, he had the suspension, and then he came back, and, you know, he's coming off, like, that incredible build-up and all his promos he cut on Anderson Silva... And you're almost just looking forward to, okay, Chael's going to be back. Who who are they going to match him with? There's all these opponents you can put him with. And you're going to get the Chael Sonnen show. And they booked him. It was UFC 136 against Brian Stan. Mm-hmm. And Sonnen, he he couldn't 
build it up. And he was just like, listen, I, I can't say anything bad about Brian Stan for like all that he's done serving this country. Like I, I can't cut promos on that. I can't, there's nothing there that I can knock about Brian Stan. I mean, once you kind of introduce that, it's really hard to, um, to boo that person when you're presenting that. And that's the position I kind of felt like they put Becky in here where, you know, again, as an Irish woman trying to make fun of a U.S. Marine, um, there's really not much she could say. I thought she kind of like maybe, you know, tried her best here by saying how she respects the person she was, but the person she is today is a steaming pile of trash. I mean, they you could only maybe go so far with perhaps that logic, and they thankfully only had like a few more minutes to fill here before this program hopefully was to end on Sunday. Um but I still didn't really understand the decision. The Revival were in the back, and they met up in Shane McMahon's VIP lounge with Drew McIntyre and Shane inside, and they were all drinking champagne. Charlie interviewed Baron Corbin. He said he's not scrambling for a referee this Sunday. He will reveal his choice on the Kevin and Sammy show. And then he gets attacked by Seth Rollins with the chair. And there's Baron Corbin laid out backstage. Daniel Bryan and Rowan came out and explained that they were brought here by the McMahon family. So the McMahon family are behind these wild card invites. Is that what I'm learning here? I guess so. I mean, they're, they're I guess, technically in, involved with everything. Tonight was also the night I refuse to count these anymore. I don't care. They don't care. So I definitely don't care. I counted. The, the, the result is ridiculous. Was it four? Oh, it depends on who's <laughs> what what kind of like asterisk they add to the to the whole thing. But um, so stupid. It's so stupid. I think I counted like nine by the <laughs> end of the night. <laughs> oh, my God. This stupid thing. This is the worst gimmick of the year. The wild card. Pretty dumb. Brian is here to lift L.A. out of the smog, educate and excite the people. He's going to destroy Seth Rollins. Uh, this match was announced earlier in the day. And. Prepare to be excited. And then they got interrupted by the Viking Raiders who are back from obscurity. They come out. There was a brief stare down. Brian and Rowan looked at each other. They were like, aren't we feuding with heavy machinery? Rowan was like, yeah, I thought so. Yeah, let's just go. This makes no sense. And then the Viking Raiders murdered Russ and Randy Taylor in 33 seconds with the Viking experience. Well, normally I would suggest that this might be like a clever bit of foreshadowing, but um, no, don't 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 go down that roadway. That's a mistake. They've done this so often, where like, oh, one segment's supposed to bleed to, into another. Let's just have these two people look at each other on their way up the ramp, and it never leads anywhere. So, remember when the Usos pinned uh, Brian and Rowan in a non-title match last month? I actually do remember. Yeah, yeah. Um. I mean, this was like Brian and Rowan coming out and what challenging the rest of the tag teams on Raw, and so I suppose the Viking Experience were supposed to represent that one of those tag teams. Now, like, I I further believe that this isn't going to lead anywhere because throughout the course of this match, I came to realize that the Viking Raiders are supposed to be heels, and I know that they're heels because <laughs> as they cut to the camera, uh, the crowd in the front row, everybody's like booing them. With like thumbs down, almost like to like a hilariously kind of like staged extent, and of course this is where we saw Truth and Carmella dressed in in uh, uh, even even though the Viking Raiders stood up to Rowan and Daniel Bryan. No, that made no sense. 
Well, like, not only that, they did nothing heelish at all in the match. No, they so, just kill people. Who's going to boo that? So, like, you know, well, I, yeah, anyway. So, you know, like, if you're watching the Viking Raiders themselves, um, look, never mind the fact that you might have seen them in NXT where they were complete baby faces. But if you've only seen them on Raw, you would have no reason to boo them. Yet, like, this cutaway to this audience had everybody just, like, <laughs> booing them like, like this was, like, world class. And, like, yeah, like, like, you know, complete with, like, thumbs down. Who boos using thumbs down in, like, 2019? But there are, like, a, there's a whole sea of these people in this cutaway <laughs> booing with the thumbs down. And I could only imagine that they were being instructed to do so. But, so, yeah, that's how I know the Viking Raiders are supposed to be heels. R-Truth and Carmella were dressed up in the audience. Uh, Carmella was supposed to be Charlie Chaplin. And the roster, I guess, was watching Raw backstage. They ran down Truth goes underneath the ring. Titus O'Neil comes out from underneath the ring, and that allows Truth and Carmella time to escape. And that was all the 24-7 stuff we got. So I guess our truth arrived in that box. Okay. After You're being right. there was, left in there all week. There was zero payoff to that. What the hell? He lived, Way. He lived. Was there something online or something? Well, I know he like cut, cut a promo. Even online. if there was something online, it, it, they should have had a clip tonight. Absolutely. Yeah. How did he get out of the box? He, was, he said he had up? three breaths left on SmackDown. So, man, he took so, he's got some incredible um, lung, lung capacity, I guess. Hmm. I'm surprised I forgot about that. It was so simple. Are, are, like, oh, are you, you surprised? Think, well, no, like, seriously, though, like, he was transported. Like, it, it they kind of wrote wrote the, their own story, right? Like, he was being transported from to Raw in a box. You're left wondering how he's going to get out of the box, and thus you have to tune into Raw to do that. But next we saw him, he was just like in, in, in a costume in the crowd with Carmella. I'm literally scanning here to see if we got some uh, out-of-the-box reveal from R-Truth. I'm seeing nothing. There's there's nothing here. So, yeah. I'm sorry, folks. Uh, figure it out. He, he It's like... Uh, they're, they're giving the audience all the power now. You even get to book the angles in your mind. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn came out, including Zayn playing the air guitar. Oh, yeah. Him and Kyle O'Reilly. That's It's going to be quite the Canadian showdown between these two. And uh, Ta- Rick Tanahashi. What about Rick Bugis? Is that how you say his name? I don't know how you say his name. Uh, before we go to their segment, Heath Slater walked into Shane McMahon's lounge and I don't know what was going on here, but there was like you you couldn't hear them. So Michael Cole is just trying to cover and talk over them, and he's trying his best here. Finally, they get the audio up. Yeah, it seemed like they had some audio issues, and I, yeah. I guess Cole had to kind of like talk over the dead air. I thought Cole, you know, for thinking on the fly, he was you know he's a pro at this he's stuff. Probably instructed to to do it, right? <laughs> I would love to have an audio fuck up and have that voice in my ear reacting rationally. I'm sure (laughs) Shane says it takes a a lot of balls for him to come in here and ask for a raise, which is what Heath requested. And Shane says, I've got kids too. The answer is no. And they kick him out. And then outside Heath Slater phones his family. And Drew McIntyre walks out of the lounge and he walks up to Heath Slater and he's talking about 
how they go back together. And I remember about 3MB. I had not put this together at all during this segment. 3MB reference. It was a 3MB reference. And he reaches in and he takes some money out of his pocket. And Heath is saying, no, it's okay. It's okay. And then the money drops and Heath picks it up and Drew nails him and he kills him. And the revival has to come out and stop him. Dawson pockets the cash. I thought the best part of this segment was that his wife presumably had to hear all of this. Oh, but yeah. I thought that was like a really uh, a level that is not often uh, thought about that. I was like that that made this beat down. I was like, that was a really clever part of this segment is that imagine like you're on the phone with your husband and then you hear this conversation and then you hear your husband getting attacked. Yeah. I was like, this, this is way more depth than a Heath Slater segment should have. But it was a nice little uh, aspect as opposed to just a million beatdown angles that we get on this show every week. Yeah, absolutely. I found this to be a very effective segment, uh, not only because, you know, of what you mentioned, but I thought Heath did a great job. You know, he can he's usually kind of playing, you know, the comedy figure. But I think for the most part, like in essence, his character is somebody who is very relatable, somebody who has a lot of children well, maybe not that aspect but somebody who has kids that he needs to support and perhaps doesn't make enough money to do so and i think you know going through a scenario that maybe a lot of people can relate to of going to their boss to ask for a raise being turned down and um he did a great job and i thought drew mcintyre did a great job of just kind of like just feeling like a friend and then completely turning on that friend. Uh, I thought Drew by the end came across as incredibly evil and he was great at it. And on top of that, I thought that Dawson Wilder adding that bit of comedy relief in here all throughout this episode, really like as sort of just, you know, these guys laughing in the background here, Dawson taking the cash out of, uh, off of the ground and pocketing it. I thought all that worked really well as well. So, you know, this was all really well done. The one thing that Heath Slater though needs to do he needs to get that phone back and he's got to call his former partner Rhino and find out how Rhino was offered double his downside guarantee just to stay at home. <laughs> That's true. Gets threatened to leave. Yeah. Rhino's contract is up in one month and he has said that he's not going to resign, but he was offered double his downside to stay, but would probably not be used much. So I'm sure, I'm sure Heath needs to get better representation, especially at this time in WWE. Yeah. Now's the time to get your raise. Then we had the Kevin Owens show with Sami Zayn. They introduced Corbin. Zayn explains this is a safe space, unlike places here in WWE, where such as Elias, who was attacked earlier tonight, and himself, who was a referee last week and got attacked in the match. Uh, he says because of that attack last week, he is withdrawing his name from being the referee, and Kevin Owens, because of his friendship to Sami Zayn, is also withdrawing. Mm-hmm. Corbin announces the referee for Sunday's match, EC3. And EC3 comes out. Everybody knows what's coming. And he gets jumped by Rollins with the chair. Apparently, it was um, an electrified chair because he killed EC3 dead. He's down and out. <laughs> when the New Day come out and Zayn says... You guys aren't even wild cards. You need to leave the building. 
New Day. I love this. Kofi Kingston explained, I'm the WWE champion. I can do whatever I want. So there's your latest rule. And so they basically they said, like took Landstorm's suggestion last week where all the champions <laughs> should be able to go everywhere. But yeah. they're also keeping the wild card idea as well. So great. We have what 14 champions in WWE plus four slots on every show, which mean jack shit. It can be as many as you want. So really there is no brand split anymore. No. Like there really is no brand it's, split. It's done. Yeah. It's it died tonight. It is over. It died a long time ago. Probably the first time you that you said it died, but you know, it it's 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 beyond resuscitation right now. So then he <laughs> Kevin Owens says he's going to take the WWE title from Kofi if Ziggler doesn't do that on Sunday. And Kofi brings up, do you remember Money in the Bank? And that was hilarious because then he qualified it by stating, for those of you that didn't see Money in the Bank, Kevin Owens did not beat me at Money in the Bank. And I think there were a lot of people in this arena who had no idea that these guys had a match last month at Money in the Bank. Kingston then proceeds to promote his match with Dolph Ziggler this Sunday, and they revive EC3 and use him as a as a ventriloquist to make this match as EC3 played Shota Umino here and was helped down to the ring as this guy just played played dead for the whole segment. Like this was so goofy. That's what I was thinking of. It was Shota Umino, yeah. That that did the weekend at Bernie's thing last. So yeah, I mean, it was totally goofy. I mean, it's it's a New Day segment. Um, Very representative of EC3's run. <laughs> you know, there was a point here where, like, there were people chanting for EC3, like a small section of it, okay? But I think it just tells you that, you know... EC- I think they were chanting E3 for the convention in LA. <laughs> they were chanting EC... Like, it, I think it just tells you, like, maybe how hard EC3 has been buried up until this point. That a small section of this audience is starting to cheer for him because they feel sorry. So they've successfully given EC3 the Daniel Bryan push, at least to a small contingent of this crowd. So you know what that means. It means probably this uh, Bernie gimmick probably going to continue for him. Great. He should just be like a dead body now. Well, that's how he's been booked. So now they're just doing the literal version. We were in a trainer's room, and AJ Styles was with the trainer. This guy had to fly all the way to LA for a for a checkup. This guy needs needs better health care uh, in Georgia. Um, do they have like what 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 is the actual kind of procedure? Let's say somebody's like injured, don't they have to fly to like a WWE? They doctor? do have to. They they do have to get cleared, and they. They typically do like their evaluations at TV, so it's it, this is actually the procedure that they do. Did you hear what happened with uh, Colt Cabana recently? No, this is very depressing for people that don't have health care. So he did a match with uh, Chris Masters, and he did the splash, and he got this like really bad injury to his leg, and he thought he had just like got a Charlie horse or something, and he he just like rested it. And this was on a Wednesday he injured it. By Friday, he couldn't even walk on this leg. So he goes to the emergency room, and they end up uh, looking at the leg. They did a CAT scan. They did some blood tests, and they told him, you've got a hematoma on your quad, and we could drain it, or you could just rest 
and we'd advise you to just rest. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to rest it. He's like, well, since you've come through the emergency room and we did these tests on you, he's going to get hit with like a $2,000 bill just for that. Jeez. This is crazy. Like, think think about the daily horror stories of those without health care in the U.S. I, I just – it's something I just can't relate to. It's just well, there was that so scene, sad. I mean recently we saw a scene in The Wrestlers where Darby Allen refuses – you know, to be taken away in an ambulance after uh, one of his like uh, death matches, and it's it's awful for the reason wrestlers. is because he he didn't want to pay for the ambulance, and how terrible is that? Like, think about those without health care. That if something is concerning them, that that's going to be the first thing they think of and avoid going to the hospital because it might be nothing, and it could be something awful. Like it could be something way worse than a hematoma in your leg. It's just that stuff just really gets me down. Hearing stories like that. I mean, this is not uh, a catastrophic story, but it's just uh, emblematic of a much larger problem. But that's me on my soapbox. Uh, So AJ is with the trainers. And then Gallows and Anderson walk in. (laughs) AJ mentions it was three years ago they debuted in this building and dominated the Usos. And the idea is that Gallows and Anderson have been coasting this entire time. And... Styles talks about how they dominated in Japan. They have had classic matches, but then they got comfortable. And they made a lot of money here. And AJ asks, when was the last time you won a match? When was the last time you were on Raw? When was the last time you were on WWE? Period. They need to get serious. And he misses the old Gallows and Anderson. And they've got a match against the Usos tonight. Yeah. This was, you know, another attempt at a renewed push for Gallows and Anderson by calling out how bad they've been. So um, that's a lot of people's characters at the moment, isn't oh, it? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. They do this push all the time. Um, sometimes like, the- it just feels like eighty percent of the people's motivation is I'm overlooked and not valued enough. Yeah, but you know that's that's kind of the story with like anybody who's been popping up at AEW, right? Like this is their real life story. Like, look at Sean Spears or or John Moxley, even. You know, it's kind of like their story because it's real. Like, these are people that have legitimately been overlooked or haven't really been given the proper time to really shine. And so, you know, they decide to write a story around it. Um, I'm I'm always willing to give it a chance. You know, I, I like that AJ is sort of like the motivational coach here for his buddies. So we'll see where they take it. We know that, you know, um, they're supposed to team up with Triple H. At a show in Japan. So we'll see how they, I guess, make Gallows and Anderson relevant enough. So then we had our impromptu six-man, two out of three falls match. With the New Day against Baron Corbin, Sami Zayn, and Kevin Owens. I don't know why this was made two out of three falls, but they, it was. They didn't even mention, like, this match was, was like, wasn't even properly made. Oh, wait, it was, it was... <laughs> It was made by EC3, who was dead. Yep. Um, but they didn't even mention that it was two out of three falls, so I, I, I imagine that maybe they just forgot. Uh, they mentioned it when they came back from break, briefly. Well, meaning, like, I think Xavier or Kofi might have forgotten. Oh, right, in the setup for the match, they did not announce it. They just, Cole announced it when they came back. Yeah. yeah. They also announced Woods and Big E will take on Owens and Zayn at Stomping Grounds on Sunday. Woods got the first fall after a roll-up on Zayn, then they got the heat on Big E for a long time. Owens is 
really great when it comes to just running down his opponents verbally during a match. It's a, it's a part of him that really stands out. Um, Graves reminds us that Kevin Owens once infiltrated the New Day. I'm like, Jesus, that did happen, and not all that long ago, and I completely put it out of my memory. Biggie sidestep, sent Zayn to the corner. Owens nailed him with a super kick. Kofi finally gets the hot tag. He's in with Corbin. Kingston hits a high cross for a two, hits a penalty kick, boom drop, and then is distracted and gets hit with the deep six. Woods dives in to make the save, and then Kingston ducks, and Corbin clotheslines Zayn, prompting Owens to get upset, shoves Corbin, super kicks him. Owens and Zayn abandon Corbin, and Kofi hits the trouble in paradise and pins Baron Corbin who is going into the main event of this pay-per-view on Sunday. I was just <laughs> done, dude. I was done. It's like, this can't be this fucking hard to figure something out. We have a show where we spent the whole goddamn show around Seth Rollins, and Corbin is the one to take the fall in this as they lose two straight falls. It's like, th- this can't be this hard. I'm trying to think, like, why this happened. Why couldn't have been either, either Zayn or Owens to take the pin? Why did well, why the match be... happened? Well, I I know why they wanted the new day on. I suppose just because they wanted I guess all the all their best guys on one show. Um, why did Baron like, like Corbin... why do the 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 silly referee bit with what what if you had done uh, EC three is named the referee, and then he's put into the match teaming with Corbin and Zayn or someone. And then Rollins does the attack at the end of this match, and that leads to the end. Ah, uh, whatever. Like, they could... There, there's a million ways that you didn't have to beat the guy that is challenging for the title on Sunday and loses clean to the guy he has nothing to do with on Sunday. To me, it's an indication that even, like, the booking doesn't believe that Baron Corbin is a legitimate contender. Because I don't think anybody buys that Corbin might beat Seth Rollins on Sunday. He doesn't even feel like a real title challenger. This doesn't even really feel like a ch- title match. See, um, all that's fine, but you made this decision. So it's like, once you've made the match, I expect you to put everything in it to, like, whether people are latching onto it or not, it's the focus of your direction for this pay-per-view. So it's like, that, the time to make that decision was two weeks ago, before you announced this match. It's like, okay, this isn't a hot main event. Let's let's book a hot main event. Like, Jesus Christ, Seth Rollins and Daniel Bryan for a two-week build would have been a lot better than Baron Corbin and Seth Rollins. Absolutely. Yeah, no Just with the story, you've never beaten me. It's like, that, that's got my attention for two weeks. You're going to give me 25 minutes at the end of this question that you've never beaten me, can you? Anyway. This is where I'm getting angry, and I'm trying not to anymore. Nikki Cross is in the dressing room, and Alexa Bliss gave her a coffee you check, mug. Check your uh, blood pressure lately, or uh, heart rate during this match. Oh, it was through the roof. I was, I was getting angry here. Alexa Bliss handed her the coffee mug with a note inside, inviting her to team with Alexa for a tag title match tonight. And Cross is just over the moon, excited to be taking on the Iconics tonight. And... Bliss says that after she beats Bailey on Sunday, the WWE will have a champion that knows how to treat fans properly. And Cross is questioning, what do you mean by that? And Cross is getting all excited, and Bliss tells her, try decaf next time. And Nikki Cross, not a fan of decaf. 
No, um, I guess not. Yeah. Is this why she is who she is? Are we learning? She's like, a caffeine addict. Yeah. Are we learning like sanity is sanity because of coffee? <laughs> is that the story? And it, Eric Young has suddenly weaned off of caffeine. Oh my God. Same with Alexander Wolf and God, she's going to get some ridiculous WWE nickname. Like the caffeine Nikki cross. Caffeine. Caffeine. Very good. Paul Heyman was on this show. He was in the ring. He announced he will not be the referee on Sunday, nor does he want to be because anyone that accepts that role is a dumbass because they're going to get beaten down with a chair. And he asks, what do the L.A. Lakers and Seth Rollins have in common? They both traded away their balls. The Lakers oh, tr- traded their ball. Who was, uh, remember when he was on Raw once? Yes, I do. Yes. Yeah, that was fun. Um, they traded their ball so LeBron could have a playmate when he disappoints the city. Rollins traded away his balls for a steel chair, because that's the only way he's man enough to fight Brock Lesnar. And Rollins is vulnerable tonight. Maybe Brock will be here tonight. Maybe he'll be here on Sunday. Maybe next Monday. No one knows, including Seth Rollins. I don't know if anybody but Paul Heyman, maybe Samoa Joe, would have been able to make that gag work. Like, no, tri- Triple H. This is, this is Triple H's promo material here. Yes, balls. Yeah. Oh, man. Is that it? What a just, I don't know. I guess you've got to remind people about this money in the bank, but it was like, God, not not a soul. Like, I didn't think it was necessary. No, not at all. I don't even think it was necessary. If anything, it it was like, I think they should be cooling off on like the Brock teases completely. um, So that if it ever does happen, it means that much more. Um, I didn't think this was at all necessary. Like, logically, why doesn't Baron name Brock the referee? Well, you can't afford Brock. You probably can't get Brock to show up. Right? Because, like, and also Brock will probably just beat him for the belt. So why would Baron Corbin want that? I guess you don't want to put that threat there. Yeah. But it's also, it throws off Rollins then, because he's got he's to deal with both these guys. But you're right. The price tag would be high. Corbin is backstage, and... He's trying to sell Eric Young on the idea of being the referee. Eric Young's going to think about it. And R- Corbin leaves. Rollins walks up to him. By the way, I don't know if I've heard Eric Young speak <laughs> on the main roster before. Until this I, point. I thought halfway through this promo, I wonder how many people are watching this and have no idea who this guy is. Plenty, I bet. Because he's not even in his sanity gear. It's like he's Look not. The gimmick's done. Yeah, he's in his Eric Young gear. Hey, he doesn't even look like the Eric Young of TNA. No. Like, he looks different. Yeah. I'm sure there were people who had no idea who this guy was. And he walks into Rollins, and before Rollins can kill him, he says, I was, I'm was, i going to turn it down. And Rollins tells him, just relax. We go back a long way. And then destroys Eric Young. Okay, I, I guess the idea is that, like, Young was lying to Rollins, and he wasn't going to turn it down. I, yes. I didn't really get that impression, though. Like, I almost felt like he was just entertaining Corbin, but, like, lying to Corbin. And then Rollins just, like, you know, telling the truth to Rollins. I know, like, I don't know. But then, like, to me, this was, this was like an unprovoked attack. Well, maybe Rollins has enhanced hearing 
and he could hear Eric Young saying, I'll think about it. And like, here's this guy who's just going to tell you what you want to hear to your face and maybe thinking, well, this guy's just bullshitting me now, just like he was talking to Baron Corbin. Maybe he is going to fuck me. So I'm going to preemptively fuck him. He's not going to have many friends with that level of uh, paranoia. Well, this is the last time we may see Eric Young on Raw, or at least for the time being. I think he and EC3 should just come back as like zombies, like <laughs> like puppets, basically. The the TNA champions. Yeah. The Usos were in a dark room. They cut a promo on Anderson and Gallows, and then we had the match. They're really pushing the Usos now as the best tag team in the world. And Graves goes one further and says they are the best tag team of the current generation. So I guess that's their uh, their positioning. I, I think it's cool. Yeah, I think, you know, on some people's list, they are the best tag team in the world right now. Mm, I, I don't think right now. Okay, well, at least last year, perhaps. Um, Maybe two years didn't ago. You last pick, year, didn't you choose them? 2017, they had a really great year. That was their big year. I think last year was a bit of a step back for them because they were barely used last year, at least compared to the year prior. Well, if you're the WWE and you're going to make a nickname for a team, I mean, that's 2017 is good enough, I would say. I was waiting for Graves to bring up the uh, the Lucha Brothers Young Bucks match from the night before AAA. Yeah, you might not get that. Um, I'm trying to think on if on any WWE show you might ever get that. So the idea was Anderson and Gallows were in control, but then Anderson and Gallows got lazy. Anderson's doing the two sweet sign to Gallows, and Jimmy comes in. They land a double super kick, and they pin Anderson in 240, and Styles is frustrated watching backstage. Yeah, yeah, so. They're lazy. They they basically fucked up again, because the thing is, is like, I don't know if Gallows and Anderson have ever been kind of known to be like showboaters. You know, and that was kind of like the error that they exhibited here. So I guess they're not necessarily late. Like, are they? Okay. They didn't really display laziness in this match. It was just like maybe not cocky. Yeah. Getting cocky, which I I don't think has ever really been known to be a a trait of theirs. But anyway, whatever. We've established they're never on TV. So how would we know? Okay. Sure. True. Those were AJ's accusations. Yeah. But uh, it seems like this is going to be a bit more of a drawn out story for Gallows and Anderson with AJ. So I'm 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 curious about it. I'm I'm kind of on board. As we mentioned, you know, like there's they're they're going to do that match with Triple H. Um, so this will be some sort of redemption story. I take it. Maybe a potential feud, even. You see that? Uh, potential feud with who? AJ. And Gallows oh, and Anderson. With, oh, with AJ and Gallows and Anderson. Um, yeah, maybe. I, I see that they're they're probably working towards pairing these three back together. Maybe AJ is going to be their their inspirational leader. Yeah, they're going to play them. I mean, God like, knows. And show them like uh, Carl Anderson in the G one and be like, "You remember this? Remember this guy?" <laughs> what I love about this match was like Cole says like they're running down like Gallows and Anderson's like accolades, and they he says. They did win the WWE tag team titles, but that was just one time. <laughs> Basically admitting like how little winning that belt means. The Toronto Raptors won the, the NBA championship, but it was only once. <laughs> yeah. Then we got what... Okay, I'm just going to explain what happened. We go to a Twitter video 
from Hulk Hogan cutting a promo that he was obviously given very specific points to hit because I don't know how much U.S. women's soccer Hulk Hogan is watching, but I'm going to make a, a guess that it's very little. So he cuts this big promo for the women to go out there and win, and he's name-dropping some of the players. And we come back, and Michael Cole explains that that was a a message for the U.S. women's soccer team ahead of their game on Sunday that they won against Chile. It's like So they, they have officially lost it. Like, he cut this promo building up a soccer game that's over. Was this video from before the game? Yes. Okay. And he they, and then the announcers explained that they have since won this game that Hulk Hogan was rallying them for and now like Hulk Hogan's wishing them good luck on Sunday. And then they explained they have now moved on and they're going to have another game on Thursday. I think against Sweden. Okay, so they're just show, basically telling you what happened. Yes, but th- this would be like airing the go-home promo the night after the pay-per-view. That's right. what they did here. I mean, I suppose it was just a way to like show the mainstream attention that uh, one of their ambassadors has in Hulk Hogan. This was, this was just on Twitter. Yeah. What attention was this? It's true. I don't know. Did they pay, did they pay for this? Was this like a cameo thing for Hulk Hogan? I don't know. I just... I don't know. Could we have gotten a new promo where he's wishing him good luck for the... I, I don't I, I'm going way too deep into this stupid thing, but I was just... I was very confused by this. I just watched this whole thing. I'm like, oh, when's this soccer game? That was yesterday. I want to know whose belt collection that was, because it certainly probably wasn't his. It's his beach shop. Oh, okay. Yeah. That thing still exists. Dan, Dan Lavransky's been there, I believe. Oh my god, wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Hogan's Beach. Great. I gotta add that to my list. Um, maybe, maybe he taught our truth how to hold his breath underwater, like his days in thunder and paradise. Yes. Some of you will, will understand that when we know who the true fans are. Roman Reigns comes out. They recapped his loss to Shane McMahon. He said, I'm not going to make any excuses because that doesn't entertain you, (laughs) but whooping someone's ass does. So he challenges Shane to be a man and face him. Shane appears on screen, and he got Mike Rome to do his intro. And let's just say Greg Hamilton, uh, he has got tremendous job security. I felt they were comparable, don't you think? Uh, Mike Rome, he couldn't he couldn't get through the finish line. Mm. It's a little rough ending. He said that Roman Reigns couldn't stand the heat in Saudi Arabia against Mister Fahrenheit, Shane McMahon. <laughs> I thought that was a that was a funny line, Mister Fahrenheit. Yeah, yeah, like a Freddy. He turns down Roman's challenge and says, "You should be concerned with Drew McIntyre." And then we turned it over to Drew and his very angry promos. He is going to hurt him on Sunday. I am going to physically assault you, physically. Oh yeah. Rather than uh, mentally? I'm going to psychologically assault you. Spiritually? I'm going to make you question everything. Yeah. Um. I'm going to put a curse on you. He's going to physically assault him until it becomes uncomfortable. Not not that, uh, that, that kind of assault. 
physical assault that you can just easily brush off. The then relaxing wait, physical assault. Like a wait massage. for this. There's more. After he physically assaults him uncomfortably, he's then going to physically disfigure him. <laughs> what are you, like man? This... What are you, the, 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 an English teacher or something? It's just like, well, the, the word physically did not need to be in this promo at all. And he's going to physically disfigure him so badly that Roman's going to go home to his family and they're going to scream at their father. I was like, are they physically going to scream? <laughs> and then, what, what, what are we? And then, <laughs> sorry, this promo was just all over the place. He tells everyone to go watch Roman's upcoming movie. Because the only, the only movie roles he's going to be up for are roles to play a lifeless body. Dude, this promo was awful. It was so bad. Man, you, it was the worst promo. I thought the best part, though, that um, he said was, I'm going to kick your ass. I'm going to kick, take your name. Then I'm going to keep kicking your ass. was awful this was just so so bad oh listen i thought the delivery was perfectly fine but when you spell it out like that word for word god it it reads terribly christ like samoa joe i feel is like dustin Rhodes. that's great and stuff i give a lot more credit to a samoa joe that can make this stuff work um yeah this was this is an example of it not working yeah, yeah. Um, this physically did not work. Yeah, if Joe had to read this verbatim, I, I'm not sure it w- if how good it would be. Oh, this was next level. Reigns storms through the back, finds the revival, kills them, gets into the lounge. <laughs> it was awesome. It's literally as he walks there, there's Shane's face plastered on the on the wall where Graves has said that that decal is probably a bad idea. And he just walks right into the room. There they are. Puts Drew through a table. Shane runs away into the arena, hops the barricade. Shane leaps onto him. Superman punch spear. And he tells Shane to tell Drew, I'm going to whoop his ass on Sunday. Physically. Yes. At some point, I I think I heard members of the audience chant, take his shoes. Yes, yes, I thought I heard that too, but I thought I was just crazy. No, they wanted Roman to take Shane's Jordans, which I think is like the the greatest chant ever. Take his shoes. Those things are expensive. And I think it would be the ultimate heel move, so I hope this catches on. That would be the end of the series, really. Like oh, the end of man. the feud is Roman stealing Shane's Jordans. Dude, they missed out. That should have been the match this Sunday. Stomping grounds. Huh. Winner gets That's Shane's... our kicking ass and taking names match. Yeah. Winner gets Shane's shoe yeah. collection. His, his shoes on a pole or something. Well, uh Well, I, I like the beat down. I thought Roman needed it after losing to Shane at uh Super Showdown. And quite frankly, I thought the feud needed it in order to continue because otherwise it's like I just I don't know, I just don't feel it here. Um I, I really think it was a mistake doing the Shane match when they did. Like, this feels like he should get through this hard-fought fight with Drew, and at the end of the line, it's his match with Shane that he kills him at the end. Uh, and I think they just they got to do so many shows that you get 
you get out there with these crazy ideas and it's like, well, to prolong it, we got to have Shane pin him. And it's like, I don't know. And then we got to do reverse. We got to retcon it here. Well, it wouldn't be a WrestleMania equivalent without a Shane McMahon singles match. So maybe that's the reason why they decided to do that. But, you know, I, I also, uh, I also feel weird that like Shane won that one. And then you had Roman basically get revenge on Drew. It's, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Charlie was with Bailey, Natalia, and Naomi, and she asks Bailey about the accusations on social media that Bailey refused to take a photo who was wearing a Nikki Cross shirt, and Bailey blames Alexa Bliss for this attack, and she leaves, and Natalia is with Naomi and wonders if it's true. Yeah, so this was, I guess, sort of a commentary on Twitter culture and how, you know, um, simply by looking at allegations in tweets, they are perhaps being treated as fact, just like in real life. This was social commentary. Well, this is the company I really want to hear social commentary from at the forefront of it. The Iconics. Are we Are we in the third hour yet? <sighs> Um, yes, we are in the third hour. We're almost there. We got a bit to go. I'm looking at my notes. I still have like two more pages. The Iconics cut a promo. They start to put over the city, but then just make fun of their opponents. And we get another LeBron James joke. As you see, Alexa used to be a champion. And LeBron James used to be a champion. And then LeBron came to the Lakers. And Bliss is teaming with Nikki Cross as equally bad choices. The highlight of this was Corey Graves pleading for no more LeBron jokes tonight. And then Cole pipes in saying, I mean, there's like eight sports teams they could make fun of here in L.A. And then Renee is like, can we get some love for the Raptors? And they both go, no. (laughs) This was two weeks in a row that the announcers got legitimate laughter out of me after Renee's uh, hooker line last week. Okay. Are you going to be okay? Are you going to make it through the last 45 minutes of the show? Oh, I'm perfectly fine. I was just, I'm wondering what you mentioning the hooker line out of context to somebody who wasn't aware of it might have sounded. Well, Bailey was called a hugger last week and Renee heard hooker and then asked on the air, was she just called a hooker? And it was a very funny line. It was like her genuine uh, reaction. Yeah. Speaking of her reaction, is there any reaction video you want to see more? Then Renee Young watching Samoa Joe versus Necro Butcher. Oh, I'd love that. I hope they put that. They just do a watch along of that. Actually, 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 uh, there is something I want to see more of. And that's Renee Young watching John Moxley versus Necro Butcher. Or John Moxley versus Toriano, which we will see. You think she'll be watching every G1? Um, (laughs) God. Well, she's on the West Coast, right? So, yeah. I mean, it's it's more suited for her time zone. I mean, she can watch a lot of these. I mean, there's a lot of 2.30 a.m. starts, but there's uh, I'm sure she can catch up. There's an interesting thought. Wow. I'm open invite for Renee Young to join us on any of our G1 reviews, <laughs> any of our B-Block <laughs> reviews. How about this open invite for Renee Young to join our uh, live in Toronto Q&A or even the NXT TakeOver tailgate? Hey, what what is happening the day of our live in Toronto show? SummerSlam. 
She'll the be finals of the B Block. Wow. Right. It's going to be Moxley's big match with Juice Robinson. Wow. And then she can come join us with her live reaction to the whole. She can give us her whole review of the G1. Sounds perfect. That'd be very exciting. The Iconics versus Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross. Um, this was not the worst Iconics match I've seen. Yeah. This was like a match that just existed, and that's perfectly fine for the Iconics. Um, so nothing happens in this match. Bliss shoves down Bailey, who is ringside, and then Nikki Cross shoves Billy Kay and then goes after Peyton Royce in the corner and gets rolled up by Billy Kay at 331 as Bailey pulls Bliss down to the floor. Anything to say on this match? I had very little. I actually thought there might have been a chance that the Iconics would have lost this one simply because this was like sort of like the first legitimate tag team they faced defending the belt. Um, but instead, and there's more story with Bliss and Cross. I would have been fine with a title switch yeah. here. The Iconics do not need these titles, and you're you clearly have a longer story mapped out with Bliss and Cross. Yeah. Instead, though, this was just used to further the the Bailey Alexa Nikki story, and it gives reason for Nikki to hate Bailey as Alexa is manipulating her to do. After the break, Bliss is with Cross, and Bliss apologizes and blames Bailey, and Nikki is convinced that Bailey is not who she claims to be. She now believes Alexa and says that Bailey crushed her dreams, and at stomping grounds, I want to be in your corner to watch you stomp Bailey's dreams. Uh, what these about, two what about are, kicking her ass and taking her name? She didn't. It hasn't reached that level yet, but one more bad interaction and we could be at name taking ass kicking territory when when you take somebody's name does that mean you now become that person legally yeah you lose you lose your name it's like signing with wwe gotcha and you get a new name so half uh yeah half the the talent will have brand new names coming out of sunday yeah like uh dexter loomis Tough shit. Deal with it. Yeah. Um, Who took Alexa it? Bliss, uh, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross are something. I, I really enjoy these two. They're great. It's a pairing, I really like these two. It's a pairing that's really worked, and I'm really happy that Nikki Cross has been able to get airtime in an actual storyline. I think she's been great. Yeah, I think the two of them actually work quite well together. And, um, you know, we'll see what, what the result is come Sunday. Do you have a prediction? Um, I think... I can see Cross somehow screwing something up. Um, yeah. I really, I, I don't want to see them break up instantly. Like, I hope this is something, make this your SummerSlam match. Get us to SummerSlam. That's my hope. I hope they don't just get, you know, trigger happy and just split them up at the first problem. Like, I, I, I think they show, they sorely need some, like, long-term relationships that then break up so you get the maximum impact. And I think these two could have that. Do you think that it happens for the championship? Well, I mean, it's weird because it's a SmackDown championship. Can that even take place? Like, do you think Bailey loses? You, you can do anything. You can do anything. There's, there's no restrictions to anything. Um, I, I think Bailey will retain the title. That's, that's my guess. I think so too. Charlie interviewed Brian and Rowan. He asks why no one has taken this chair away from Seth Rollins yet. He's going to end this rampage. Rollins is not a better wrestler than myself, and he has never beaten me. Hey, we and... also had the Firefly Funhouse. Oh, that's right. I skipped over that. Um, so 
the Firefly Funhouse, Bray Wyatt is gardening. And he says that your minds are like gardening. They need water and sunlight to grow. And some minds are full of worms. And people will always lie, such as the earth being round or dinosaurs being extinct. And Bray knows what it's like to be different. That's why he built the Firefly Funhouse. And we get all the puppets appearing one by one, including Vince McMahon, saying, join us. And Bray continues saying that people worship what they fear. Fear is power. Follow the leader. And then we get these quick cuts of different clips ending with Bray in the mask with the hammer. And then he disappears at the end. The clips, by the way, were all like different versions of his like uh, do the muscle man dance song. So you had like an, a rap version that sounded like almost like it was Eminem doing the, the muscle man dance song. You had like a metal version, an R&B version. They all sounded amazing. Like, I want to hear all of these full versions if they're out there. Um, but yeah, it ends with him saying, let me in full gear. And this almost felt like a culmination of sorts for these types of videos. Like, you know, like it, it almost felt like the finale of them. It um, felt like he was leaving the funhouse at the end. He was like disappearing and going wherever. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it, it seems to lead you to believe that you might be getting a debut soon, imminently. If, you know, if not Sunday, then maybe the week after, but who knows, you know, I've, I've kind of had this feeling before, like you and I talked about last week, maybe, Maybe these shouldn't end yet. Like there's, they've been interesting enough to like, you know, continue. Um, but this one almost felt like a bit of a culmination. Network content and merchandise. You'll make your money off this character. Oh, if they had like, if they were selling Vince puppets, like Devil Vince puppets, yeah, those things will definitely sell. Just, just shirts with the Vince puppet on it. I mean, like, there's so much you could make money off. I think with this character right now, it's just slapping on these different characters onto shirts or whatever the hell they come up with. I think people really want to try that rabbit sauce. (laughs) They would. Seth Rollins, Daniel Bryan. We're at the main event way. Non-title match. Rollins hits a suicide dive onto Bryan, then gets caught by Rowan and takes the claw slam onto the apron for the DQ in a minute 13. Bryan hits him with the running knee. The New Day runs down again. There's a Trouble in Paradise delivered to Brian. And then we get all the run-ins. Owens, Zayn, The Revival, The Usos, the greatest tag team on Earth. And the babyfaces clear the ring. There's a dive to the floor. And the announcers state that the match will restart with everyone banned from ringside. So we go to a break, come back, and the match restarts. Man, for a second I thought this was actually going to be like a rough bait and switch. Um, and I'm so sorry, WWE, that I assume so ill of you because I know you wouldn't bait and switch delivering, you know, mentioning something at the beginning of the show and then not (laughs) delivering at the end. So I apologize. Um, but instead it was just an elaborate way of getting Rowan away from ringside. And that's all it was. That was it. Yep. That was the accomplishment. So they had a real match here. They went eight minutes of the second match. Uh, some highlights included Brian, isolating the leg and turning it into a German suplex as Rollins went to the floor and took a flying knee off the apron. Rollins is selling his knee, uh, but scales to the top of the superplex, tries to follow through with the Falcon Arrow, but the knee gives out, so Brian gets the label lock applied and then wrenches back on the arm into a rings of Saturn. So Rollins has to use his foot to get to the rope, hits him with the yes kicks, sets up for the running knee, but gets caught. 
Rollins nails him with a buckle bomb and then knocks his shoulder into the post as he's trying to revive the shoulder. Goes for a frog splash, lands on the knees. The label lock gets reapplied. Rollins moves out of that with a stack pinfall and then an insiguri stomp, and he pins Brian in eight minutes. So he finally beats Daniel Bryan. Yeah, finally, yes. After all, like, those many years. After, what, 20 years. All this time, if I had told you, way that night that you and I watched that SmackDown together where Brian announces I've finally been cleared, and I told you, dude, year and a half, he's going to be the setup guy on a Raw for a pay-per-view headline by Baron Corbin. You would have been like, get the fuck out of here. No, I certainly would have, have expected it. The the fact is though he is in that position right now he's in a he's the leader of a division that really means nothing so I didn't really have too much of a problem with this particular loss because it it leaves Daniel Bryan in the same position he's in a position now where he can afford a loss like this and it doesn't really harm him and it makes Seth Rollins look really good heading into the pay per view I thought the match you know I kind of started off not really caring about this at all especially due to the the false uh, start that they did. But uh, by the end, it turned into an excellent TV match uh, for about 10 minutes there that I thought lived up to the expectations of what you wanted from these two. I I don't even disagree on, like, the usage of Brian. Like, he's not the, the guy right now. Mm-hmm. Seth Rollins is. And when you're building up a pay-per-view, uh, I'm fine with doing stuff like this. Like, get your – get the people that are the guys, get them as hot as possible. So that was fine. But on the same show where you're pinning Baron Corbin – I can't make sense of this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that Corbin loss, I really can't make sense of either. I mean, Corbin attacks. Oh, sorry. It wasn't even like a singles match. You had Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens right there who could clearly afford it. So, yeah. Puzzling. Corbin attacks Rollins with the chair. So he turns the tables or turns the chairs on Rollins as he's leaving. Hits him with end of days and then holds up the universal title to end the show with the question, who will be the referee on Sunday? That was, like, really upsetting, too. Like, I thought, you know, that was sort of like the show-long mystery that they were going to solve by the end of it. Who was going to be the referee? And we didn't even get that. Do you think they'll announce it on SmackDown or go right into the pay-per-view with a mystery? I think they're going right into the pay-per-view. That's how kind of how I felt tonight. And it was strange because they promoted all throughout the day that they were going to announce this this referee and let you I mean I don't think it was a major hook to stick around to find out who the referee was going to be but yeah, anyway not. they went off the air who could it be it. who could it be who do you think it'll be um John Moxley <laughs> I don't know dude no idea Becky Lynch wouldn't that be amazing no no okay I don't know yeah, uh, I mean, if you, if you name one of the women, it's it's a choice that Rollins can't take them out with a chair. Yeah, true. Um, who would it be? I I just can't see that happening. But well, we'll I, see. Take your guesses, everybody. Um, you know, I thought this this uh, episode of Raw did a lot better than typical in terms of star power. You had Roman Reigns on the show. You had Seth Rollins, uh, The New Day, Daniel Bryan, Becky Lynch. But somehow I still, like, I felt the drag a bit more for this one than usual. I don't really know what it is, but I did. Um, I thought it was a really good 10-minute main event. Everything else was just kind of, like, there, you know? 
my interest for Sunday remains rather low. I'm not looking forward to this pay-per-view at all. It just doesn't feel like anything. Um, we'll yeah, we'll go we'll go through the card tomorrow. Yeah. All right. Let's go to feedback. I want to hear what everyone else had to say. Um, I I'd give this show. I'd go four. What would you say? I'd go like five point five. Five point one seven. Five point one six. Okay. It literally switched as we uh so all right uh we go here to johnny i've been hearing lots of reports regarding poor ticket sales for stomping grounds so i took the time to go onto the tacoma dome website during raw and have a look for myself the blue dots are all seats still available this isn't really great for uh an audio podcast but you can go look at this on the forum ticket sales seem so bad that they now appear to be be doing two for one offers also as reported it by ringside news if you happen to live in the tacoma washington area hold on a second isn't Ringside News like one of those like bogus sites? Uh, well, the two for one offers, I have heard that they had been doing that. I don't know if it lists it here in his uh, actual. Yeah, he, well, he's got a screen grab here. There's a two for one special offer. Okay. Yeah, no, I believe that. I guess I'm just wary. Um. Yeah. If you happen to live live in the Tacoma area, okay, so. Well, yeah, it's like th- there's no secret. Like this is a – they have not been selling well, for a, especially for a WWE pay-per-view. But as he's showing up here, you can sit on the floor for 652 bucks. That's a lot. You wouldn't pay $652 for this card on Sunday? Uh, no, I don't think so. I don't know if I'd pay $652 for anything, really. Like ticket, ticket I mean. Well, there's a lot of people like you. Yeah, We go to Paul from New Jersey who says, was, was was it just me or did the show feel much better paced than your average episode of Raw? There was no 20-minute opening monologue and the United States contender match was booked very well and I thought the right guy went over in the end. I normally don't care about the title at all, but Joe versus Ricochet sounds promising. Nothing really seemed to drag on the show too badly. Segments jumped from one to the next, which I thought was good. As soon as Corbin revealed EC3 as the new special guest referee, you knew a steel chair was in his future. The weekend at Bernie's spot with the New Day was really funny. I actually like what Seth is doing, and I am the biggest Heath Slater fan, so anytime I get to see him on television is a treat. Nice callback to when he and McIntyre played in the same band. Two questions. What in the hell was that Hogan pandering to the U.S. women's soccer team all about? Dana Warrior talking about Pride Month and Hogan talking about women's soccer. Sometimes this company is weird. Uh, I think we covered that. Um, who? What was the bigger victory, the Toronto Raptors winning the NBA championship or the Iconics getting a victory on television? The Raptors. Andrew from Cape Breton. I was going to play the fun game of how many wild cards they have. Did you end up counting them, Way? Uh, okay. I think if you, if you simply counted the number of uh, SmackDown talent, not including R-Truth and Carmella, but just like SmackDown talent on the show, I counted about eight, okay? <laughs> Including, like, basically this is Roman Reigns, all three members of The New Day, uh, Kevin Owens, Daniel Bryan, Eric Rowan, and Elias. But I think under their rules, The New Day suppos- supposedly aren't members of the wild card. They're only here because Kofi Kingston is champion and he decided to invite his friends. Okay, fine. And I guess Eric Rowan, because he and Bryan are tag teams, or a tag team, that counts as one. Wait a minute. The Usos had a scheduled match tonight. The Usos, be... the Usos are on, on Raw. 
Oh, so you meant his friends Biggie and Xavier Woods? Yeah. Okay, sorry. I thought you said the Usos. Never mind. Okay. Um, so four, if you go right. by their count. Right. So that means if you completely uh, ignore the fact that the New Day are don't count. None of this counts. None of it matters. So you can <laughs> you can come up to any conclusion you want. Um, goes on to say, I think it's just easier to say there's no real brand split anymore. But it's annoying how they're trying to make the stipulation mean something. Then again, they beat their champions into powder, so I guess the wild card rule is just another example of that. I hate how the commentators make the Firefly Funhouse sound so lame. I'm thinking this week may have been the last week, and next week we should see Bray out in front of the audience. It looked like a great finish to the vignettes. Maybe next week we'll shout at the door for people to come and fight him and sound brooding while doing so. Four out of ten show. Oh my, what are those two interacting? I'd love it. That'd be great. We get to AJ from PA who says, Tonight's Raw wasn't really bad. It was just there. I noticed some changes tonight, though. Different angles and ways of shooting. That one crowd shot that panned over into the backstage scene was pretty cool. But like most WWE content these days, it just felt so convenient and staged. Nothing feels organic or raw. I'm curious about your thoughts. What is more likely to happen? Kawhi Leonard resigns with the Raptors or AEW draws over 1 million viewers on TV before the end of the year? <laughs> I'm going with the AEW one. I'm going with Kawhi. All right. Jay from Colorado. For the last two weeks, I've been watching Raw through highlight clips on Reddit, which are generally posted within minutes, and it's made a huge difference. That, along with your reviews, have made it tolerable. Raw definitely seems to be improving little by little. The highlights, for me, were seeing Ricochet actually used correctly and some continued build of Bray Wyatt. It appeared Dana Brooke took a bad hit at main event, hoping she's okay, as she's gotten bad break after bad break. She's an underutilized talent. By the way, I found a free app on my TV that has a 24-7 streaming impact and AAA channel called Pluto, and it's helped fill the void that canceling the network has left. I highly recommend it. Cool. Okay, we got a Brandon. Oh, boy. From where? New Jersey. Oh, that Brandon. My dearest, Rafael Arujos. 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 I wish you got this one. What a joyous day in the six. Caillou Calais. Hope you lads enjoyed the parade. Hope you seize the day because the future could be bleak. Will Masai take the Godfather offer and go to Washington for $10 million a year and part ownership? Will Kawhi go to LA? Who knows what the future holds? To Raw, I enjoyed it very much. It was paced well. Not a lot of talking and lots of wrestling and wildcard nonsense. Great go-home show to a pay-per-view network special. My meanderings. Did you guys hang out with Fall Away at the parade today? Also, John, did you give Kawhi his housewarming plan? Okay. Um, not letting Mox work the G1 Texas show a coincidence or AEW flexing their muscles? We don't know. Was the fall by Arrow Lucha star the worst fall you have ever seen in pro wrestling, or was it the choke slam in ECW? No. I mean, I've seen some terrible falls from people. I uh, mean, you, yeah. you think about uh, Vic Grimes in ECW. That was a horrific one with New Jack. Um, uh, mm -hmm. There's probably a lot. Yeah. Shouldn't Ronnie Garvin be the mascot for stomping grounds or lugs <laughs> or Luger? Not bad. The Ronnie Garvin joke was not bad, Brandon. That kind of landed. All right. Brandon's coming. August the 11th. Um, last one here. Not sure if I'm just in a good mood or what, but I enjoyed that episode of Raw, which he puts question marks at the end of. It felt like a cohesive show. Some guys got used that haven't been used in a while. Not sure I'm more sold on stomping grounds, 
but I did dig this show. Seven out of ten. I thought some you know, some some positive feedback to to Raw. Maybe a, a lot of people felt it uh, moved along probably at a better pace than I personally did. But um, um, I would say compared to previous weeks, it it feels more positive. Listen, if this show, it's like when the drag hits you, it drags everything down for me. Like it's just this show in two hours, even if it made no sense and it was the exact same stuff we complain about, it'd be way more tolerable. I, I find like once once you hit like that hour and 40 mark and you're just, yeah, it brings a lot down. Like I, I like the stuff with Rollins tonight. I thought that was good. Uh, it, there was a number of things I enjoyed about this show. This was hardly um, a terrible edition of Raw. The Corbin thing was, to me, inexcusable on the go-home show. But, I mean, what are we talking about here? So... Stomping grounds. That's what we'll be talking about all you know week. What the, fu- the, the fun game to play is which announcers call it stomping grounds and which ones call it stomping ground. Oh, that's we, true. We got both tonight. What 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 is it? It is S. It is plural. Stomping or stomp in with a G. Oh, okay, stomping grounds. Got that it. is the correct. Um, you know, people were asking about this uh, U.S. women's soccer thing. And on Stephanie McMahon's Twitter, I'm not shocked that she's watching this soccer game. I'm shocked that she's standing in front of the monitor watching it. <laughs> you have to see this photo. It's okay. like, it looks so contrived as well. Let me like, see this. Stephanie McMahon is Twitter. It's like, okay, Stephanie, stay still. We're taking your photo. You're enjoying a soccer game. Are you surprised she, she wasn't standing off to the side? I don't believe she was genuinely watching the soccer game like this. <laughs> yeah, this looks ridiculous. Imagine walking into a room and seeing someone staring like this. What do you mean? All WWE, all WWE backstage performers watch. No, she'd TV be like way. 90 degrees to the side of the screen. Well, that's what I mean. Seeing like the rays coming out of the TV. Uh, you know, I can't even tell who's watching this TV. It's just some, I, it's a person's side of their face without seeing their full face facing me. As they're facing the TV, how can I tell who's watching? This I is where she is. Is she in a? Well, she's like doing makeup or something. So it, could she be in a makeup chair? It's weird. <laughs> this is what our show is starting to analyze. <laughs> the replies are hilarious. Oh, I I can't imagine. Oh my god! One of the comments. Why aren't you watching it from the side? <laughs> no. uh, I mean, they, they've really like that's become their thing. So somebody posted a, a <laughs> it's just a bunch of like photos of people watching TV from the side. And it's uh, one of like Michael Scott from the office watching his <laughs> little flat screen TV saying, I will just stand here and watch television for hours. Oh, that's tremendous. Hey, we haven't talked since Friday, correct? Uh, Yeah, Friday. Yeah. What was your reaction to the all out sellout? I think as predicted, honestly. Um, now, w- this was wasn't as fast as Double or Nothing, right? Uh, it was. It was not as fast as Double or Nothing. This was fifteen minutes. I think Double or Nothing was like four. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, when it comes at, at that point, like, what's the difference, right? Like, Nothing. it was going like, to sell out no matter. This what. demand was through the roof. This it's was just, crazy. It's probably just like a technical difference. The fact that you have maybe that right. that range. Um, yeah. No, it did not surprise me. I thought the the place was way too small, uh, you know, considering the de- demand for those two previous shows. And 
you know, it, it perhaps you know it adds a great deal of buzz for AEW going into um their their TNT debut, and maybe that was worth you know doing having instead of potentially selling out a, a bigger place. I don't, I'm not really sure. What it, what do you think? I would have gone for the bigger place. I mean, I do believe that there is a value to having these immediate sellouts that is getting all this buzz among people within the industry that is following this stuff and seeing these guys as ticket movers to such a large degree. There is a value to that. How much bigger I, would you have gone? Uh, I would I would have done an outdoor stadium, to be honest. Really? For this show? Yeah. Damn. I would have gone I would have gone all out. Yeah, I mean, perhaps, you know, maybe some of the, the, the numbers that uh, I've heard people like Dave Meltzer suggest that they could have done that. Um, I guess if, if you're asking me, were, are, were there 60,000 people that were desiring tickets on Friday? I think yes. I think they would have had a first day sellout for a stadium, to be honest. I think they're God, that hot at the moment. That's insane. I guess the question is, though, where do you go after that? Can you do that every year? Does it matter? You, you you run it while you can. I think that it's um, you just you assess the demand of the market, and I totally understand. Of course, for all in like running that, it was a I think it was a shock to people what they did. Double or nothing. I think people still someone had their reservations. It's Las Vegas. After Vegas, I don't think anyone was going into Friday thinking anything but what ha- maybe not the number of people that were going to be going on to try and get tickets but i don't think anyone was shocked at the one day sellout i think everyone knew that was coming and it was just a question of how big a venue do you book cuz they they could have sold out the sears center several times over it'll certainly be interesting to see if like this trend continues once tv gets going and you know right now i think there's a real craving because we've only been seeing these performers so so rarely over the past year um, but once TV gets going, we're starting to see them every single week. At what point will the audience perhaps, you know, look at these shows as maybe less of a novelty? Um, you know, like we've seen like with Fighter and also Fight for the Fall and like the smaller shows obviously aren't receiving the same level of demand. But these big ones, you know, between All In, All Out and Double or Nothing are still being treated as like major destination shows. Can they keep that going once there's TV? Yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone's going to be expecting weekly sellouts when they're touring for TV. But, I mean, you look at the run that, like, All Japan had, selling out Budokan Hall with, like, you know, the same guys that you had largely on top for a period. Like, you were, you know, elevating guys and moving them. But, I mean, that was an incredible streak that they had. And it's it's certainly, like, they have just an enormous, enormous buzz at the moment. And... Uh, for these big shows, I, I think that everyone realizes, like, I, I also wonder, like, how much uh, Starcade plays into, or Starcast plays into people's decisions to travel to these shows, that it's more than just a wrestling show. It's a weekend of all these events, and people plan a weekend around it. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, I look forward to see, seeing that show as well as, uh, you know, John and I were going through some of our um, summer scheduling today, and... There's a whole lot on the path to to the end of uh, September, uh, August and, and all out. So there's a lot more show before we get to that stage. All right. Uh, there is a lot coming up this summer, but that is all for tonight's show. We will have to uh, hit pause and we will resume on Tuesday night after SmackDown. So, Way, thank you as always for joining me for the last two hours and eight minutes. Yeah, likewise. Thank you, too. And thanks to all of you for listening. 
You can go check out postwrestling.com. Go grab your tickets, Post Wrestling, live in Toronto. And that is it. We'll speak with you on Tuesday night.